Never like this thing we've done. I just the beginning. No, here we go. But go ahead, go ahead. Let it out. <laughs> that feels like we just got through that Dutch Mantel match. It's a <laughs> I knew I get you. He just blew it all over the place. There we go. Damn it. Yep. We're in the closet. Uh, he doesn't I care about his appearance, fellas. <laughs> what was that, Jay? <laughs> I don't get the first spit take on Charlie. I'm hurt. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. It is the season premiere of season five of the New Blood Rising podcast. We had a nice little break there for about a month and a half from uh, from season four when we were covering the streak. This this had, we have a definite name for this. We kept I kept jockeying back and forth with names of season four. This is pretty simple. It's from Sting to Hogan. It is WCW 1990 to 94, starting with Sting's first. Uh, ascension to being the guy, being the world heavyweight champion, to Hulk Hogan becoming coming in as the guy. I am both, the guy, brother. Both against Ric Flair. Both against Ric Flair, yes. So, I'm William Rankin, joined by Jason Kiesler. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Charlie Sabeel. Glad to be back. <laughs> Martin. Well, what's so funny about hey, everybody? It sounded like you weren't excited, to be honest. It sounded like you were just sort of like, eh, this whole thing again. This. Three years running. You <laughs> oh, sound like the beginning uh, of Every Rose Has Its Thorn. When <laughs> you hear that little, just if you listen to the very beginning, you hear that. <laughs> this old bone chain. All right, here it is. Well, be honest. I am negotiating my contract with uh, the UFC right now, so you're going to have to keep that in mind. I made no show. Who knows? Okay. The ultimate fuck-all championship. Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I don't care Martin Dixon that. is off on assignment. We'll check in. I'm just kidding. No, Martin, that'd be awesome. Martin was on assignment covering independent wrestling throughout the world. He's like, <laughs> he's in a cave in Peru. <laughs> Got this guy down there, man. He's the Lima machine. <laughs> would he just be like the the uncle from Fraggle Rock that would just write the postcards, and we just cut to Martin in some backdrop of a foreign country talking about weird professional wrestling? That would be fun. Oh, it'd be awesome. I would love if I ever had enough money. I would just pay enough money to keep him like on the road for like a month, maybe two months, just around the world. Why don't you head down to Zambia and see what's going on down there? You know, I hear they got a real, uh, a real worker down there, a real mechanic. This guy working the wrist. A general. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's a ring renegade. He's not a general. I play by my own rules. We're going to send Martin to Zamunda. They finally got a wrestling federation. I'm the champion now. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> but, um, no, we're I'm bummed he can't be here, but we're hoping uh, for our, when we head to, I think our next episode is a clash, right? Yep. When we go to the Clash of the Champions for episode two of season five, we'll be able to have Martin back with us. So it's going to be a three-man group, and it is going to be... We're going to have to work. We're going to be working our asses off here right off the bat. We've got 11 matches. It is the Great American Bash 1990. Before we get into it, two hot topics. We've got to discuss these because it works our podcast. Number one, Mayhem Jeff Jarrett's going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> 
That's insane. <laughs> what world are we in? Like, I, I really, honestly, no joke, I thought it was kayfabe news that uh, that posted it. This thing was a thing, though, leading up to it. Like, at least, was it like a week or so they've been talking about this? Like, it could be a thing. Is that right? Yeah. Because the rumors. Man. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, it does, in a way, because, you know, supposedly Triple H is uh, really good at mending fences, and with, you know, he's getting more and more um, pull on the main roster, so he's looking for people to assemble a team to run NXT when he has to start focusing on that. But That's a good Jeff point. Jeff would make a great trainer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he absolutely. As a Hall of Famer, though, like I laugh because like I, I do kind of subscribe to the if within like two to th- within a maximum of five seconds. If you well, can't, we did it off air once. If you can't, if you throw out a name and within five seconds you can't say they're definitively a Hall of Famer, they're not a Hall of Famer. That's just sort of. It's not. There's no science to that whatsoever. It's just. It's. It's based on just the you know all, all the, all the viewings or whatever you've had of their matches. Well, like if you were to do that with me. The first thing that would come to my mind was like two or three matches that just stick out as those are some of the greatest matches of all time. And with Jeff Jarrett, I I, I can't think of one. Not like, even one. Like I'll give you another example. Like Jason, first off, do, do you think he should go in the Hall of Fame? Do you think he belongs in there? No. That's what I figured. I just wanted to make sure I had it right. I, Charlie's the same boat. I'm in the Nothing same boat. Nothing against him. It's no. Just... Here, okay, so I'll give you another example, because this is a guy I really like, but I don't put him in the Hall of Fame. Is Ken Shamrock. Absolutely. That's a great example, actually. Yeah. I, I, well, wait. Can, can I change my answer? Because if Coco Beware can be in the Hall of Fame, anyone can be in the Hall of Fame. And it's not like I'm not making a knocking joke on Coco Beware. It's well, just like he's what? the bird man. Well, true. But what, I mean, what did he do besides be the Birdman? No, you're right. I mean, there's some, uh, you know, a lot of people like to, I guess, delegitimize the Hall of Fame when they go, they let Drew Carey in, they let celebrities in. There's an like, inconsistency. No, there's a line. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a line. We also know there's this inconsistency with the Hall of Fame. Sometimes they put somebody in the Hall of Fame because of what they did outside the WWF, and then sometimes it's all about what they did in the WWF. But it's more like, of a wrestling Hall of Fame, right? That's how they. Coco Beware was actually a really good non-WWE wrestler, mm-hmm. and then he became what he was. Like Jim Duggan's the same way. Jim Duggan's got an incredible. Well, if you want to use that, Dusty Rhodes. Right. Dusty Rhodes' WWE wrestling career is terrible, just god awful. But should he be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I agree. But I'm I haven't seen enough of Coco Beware's stuff pre WWE, so I yeah. can't really make a, a, a judgment. But based on his WWE stuff, I agree with Jason. I that was the one that always baffled me. Oh yeah. Was Coco and Beware. I mean look, it's the elephant in the room. Like people pretty much subscribe to the notion it's it's because he was black is the only reason why he is in absolutely and when he was and why would he be one of the first ones? I know. And that's why like it's it's tough to take that position because you know what you're gonna get. As a from, response? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, I, and I would hope that's not true. I mean, it's it's tough just because you look at him and you're like, you didn't do anything, but you you were, you know what? The one thing I'll give him, you were amazing with kids. You yes, had, he was. I mean, you had kids really excited about wrestling. But from a wrestling standpoint, and he's not in the Hall of Fame yet, and I don't, I don't think he's gonna go in. But if I think of like, oh, who's like a, a black wrestler that should have gone in? Like, you know, when there weren't that many that were going in. Ahmed Johnson. I think Ahmed Johnson had a much better career in WWE than Coco Beware. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think they're pulling more from the. It's like Carlos, Carlos Colon. Right. You know, they're pulling from something else. Because they've. Well, I, if that's the case, then Jarrett does deserve to go in. I mean, you start a company 
which a lot of people do, but you start a company that technically is still going on today, that's that's Hall of Fame worthy. It's funny how WWE treats TNA, because they act like it doesn't matter, like when they talk about world title numbers and stuff. But, I mean, if you look at the network, we're starting to see Dixie Carter pop up in some of these docs. Yeah. And Kurt Angle, like, like, like but, but look at the way they treated Kurt Angle. They acted like, basically, that he disappeared for 13 years. And even like, Sting. Sting, kind of oh, Sting, they did it even more, actually. That's a better example. It's like, no, Sting like carried that company on his back. It's like he sat on his couch in the crow face paint for like <laughs> over 10 years just, just sitting there. Just I, I don't the like floor. what they said about Booker T. I don't like what they said about Larry. Isn't that Lex Luger's real name? Larry? Larry, yeah. <laughs> I don't like what they said about him. He's my buddy, you know. <laughs> Larry. Larry Luger. <laughs> Larence. <laughs> I kept thinking it was like Larry Flugel or something like that. It's, it's something like that. Larry Figet Fidel. Larry. It's, it, it looks like. See, I get it mixed up with Ric Flair. Fabisco. Like the way that Flair spells his last. <laughs> what? The Larry way that Fabisco. <laughs> the living whatever. The living well, murderer you, of Miss Elizabeth. But I, oh my God! Well, oh, I think stop. the rest. I think wrestling's going to make a a big change um, once Vince steps down. Yes. I really do, because I think that uh, Triple H is more open to working relationships with other companies. Yeah. Um, they prove with Evolve. And, the, you know, if Cyrus and I can't remember the other guy's name oh, right Scott now. Oh, it's got the more. stay in charge of TNA. I think there's going to be a lot more cross-promotion. I don't necessarily mean people showing up on different shows week to week, but I think there's going to be a more open relationship, and they're not going to treat all competition as poison. They're going to try to get it back to what the way it used to be. Well, they do that. If they, if they were to do that, which I think you're right, because um, I think WWE's main goal now is over the next 10 or 20 years to become a truly global yeah. entity. If they do that and they're running the show, then I think they have way more power. You know, because that's basically what it's going to be. Yeah. Because there's not going to be competition. So when you look at uh, a lot of the other companies now, I mean, Lucha and Lucha Underground and TNA are getting ready to do a, a SuperCard uh, WrestleMania weekend the same night as the NXT show. Um, so they're going to try to do that to compete with the ROH show, which is competing with the NXT show. So like New Orleans is going to be just on that one night. There's going to be three pretty high profile shows. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, the uh, Joey Janela's spring, second spring break thing, which is like a clusterfuck for all the right reasons. From the little bit I watched last year, they had Charlie. I don't know if you like goofy wrestling from time to time, but they had this wild ass battle royal, and this one guy comes in and cleans house, and then the next competitor is the Invisible Man. And this dude tosses himself around for like two whole minutes, and the crowd went nuts. It's like, uh, what was it? Kenny Omega fought that sex doll. That's that match is incredible. <laughs> I yeah. I could not believe what he did with that. He literally did the Ric Flair thing. He could wrestle a broom. Oh yeah, he took it literally. Yeah, I watched. I was spellbound. I watched all of it. Jason, I thought you were gonna say it was a match of thirty goofies from Disney World. I thought that would have been just oh the, the greatest thing to watch. It's the Why would that? <laughs> the last one to come out is the one from the Goofy movie, so he's so ultra 90s. Real quick, I'll just say this. Uh, I think WWE, in time, is going to become... They're taking the NWA idea, and I think it's going to be like the NWA, how that was the big thing, and then there are all these little territories. I think WWE is going to be like a new NWA, but it's going to be worldwide. And the territories are going to be the countries. Yeah. 
That's that, pretty cool. That's what I think they're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, I guess. I, that, that's what it seems like to me. So they could pull talent from different places. They could create super cards. Uh, and Because and, I think the network, WWE Network, I think the network itself ties into this completely. Yeah. Because they can put on whatever they want on that network, and you can watch that all over the world. I don't know if you've ever looked at it, but the languages that you can watch wrestling in, there's at least ten. It's incredible. Like Cantonese. Like remember when they had John yeah. Cena learn Cantonese and go oh to? Oh my God! I, it, it's 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 impressive, but you know it's getting to a point. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it's it feels like it it doesn't feel like what. Not that I don't like change, but it doesn't feel like something that's for me. You know where it almost feels like it's too much because the NWA when they would do that with the territories. I mean, you didn't you couldn't see those matches, right? No, you, you, you know, so there wasn't an oversaturation of the product. So I, I think it'll be interesting, and and hopefully, hopefully, I, I come around and I'm on board with it. Last thing I say, because then we got to move on to our second topic before we dive into Bash, is this goes to prove this proves to you. Jeff Jarrett supposedly there's not confirmation, but I've heard this multiple times over the years. He held up WWF for a hundred thousand dollars. Talk about that. Yeah. If he can get in the Hall of Fame and they mend fences, there's no reason why CM Punk can't come back. True. That's I mean. There's no argument now. What well, what to I me. told you like two weeks ago, all of a sudden there were these stories that I'd never heard before that were coming out saying that that's a myth. That Jeff Jarrett never actually held Vince McMahon up for money. And I'd never heard that before. And all of a sudden, like, and there's a lot of people saying, yeah, that actually never did happen. That's just a story that they, they they got leaked. Tell me it didn't happen. I'll tell you, I saw it happen. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know what to believe, but if you're right, like I want to believe that that did happen because why else would Vince call him out so badly on the final Nitro? Oh yeah, and specifically pinpoint him and say he's not coming back, <laughs> you know? And and now look at him. But I think you're right, Triple H. I want to believe like this was always my biggest fear about uh, Vince leaving because Vince always made up with everybody. Uh, Ultimate Warrior like, is probably the best example. He kept giving him chance after chance after chance. And Triple H, I was always kind of afraid that he would not have that quality. But it seems like he does even more so because he got Bruno San Martino. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, CM Punk is the one that I think about. Because it seems to me that CM Punk's big beef with the entire facade that was the last year and a half, two years of his career, was directly related to Triple H. Yeah. And I don't. And Triple H, I just don't know if if he'd be willing to mend that fence. That's true. Because if he, but if he were to mend that one, then I think it's like it's like Brett. When Brett came back to WWF, it's like anything's possible as long as Vince is in charge. It just took too long. That's the problem. It took way too long. Yeah. To where it didn't. It was cool to have that one night, that one night where he came back. But everything after that was. Eh. But even the Raws, like. To see Vince, Brett, and Austin in the same ring, I mean, I thought that was incredible. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you know, everything, the, you know, the match, what came after, the U.S. title win, yeah, that was bad. But Punk, I mean, he's still somewhat young. He yeah, can still he can do still this. go, yeah. The, um, the other thing, of course, we had said this, we left off season four with this point, was that there is still possibility that there's more Undertaker to come, and we just spent for years to four. come. <laughs> for season four, we had talked about all of Undertaker's WrestleMania matches, the streak after the streak, all of it. And so when we left off, we were like, okay, it's looking like the Cena thing. Although his Raw 25 was weird, we didn't understand it. We didn't. Jim Ross didn't understand it. <laughs> Tried to tell us it was a warning. What does this mean? I think that's when he fell asleep. <laughs> and and so. 
after the uh, whatever was it? It was after Chamber. Cena comes out and does the sad promo. I don't know what my direction is. Whatever. Yeah, Cena went to creative and creative went. Well, we got nothing for you <laughs> for John Cena. <laughs> and so he basically brings the internet rumor to the ring in this way that he says, "Okay, I'm a I'm a challenge Undertaker. That match isn't going to happen." So now it's impossible. Those are his words. Yeah, it's impossible to happen. So let's bat it around. Jason, you had the greatest idea. I'm going to still give you credit for having the greatest Undertaker Mania idea. It was perfect, and sadly, it looks like it's not going to happen. So what do you think of them finally, at least, it, all indications are it's going to happen. It is going to be Cena and Taker. But even if it's not, what do you think of this whole mess? Well, if it does happen, my score for Roman Undertaker is drastically going to go down. Um, I was ready to like post my like what my score would have been when Cena was doing that, and I'm so glad I waited for him to go, that's not going to happen. Um, but I mean, if, if we're going to see Taker come back and it's not going to be in that scenario I put out, um, then I guess Cena would be the best person. I mean, I really don't think you could get a bigger match, um, to be honest, but I also think that they need to start getting away from these individual matches that, that completely overshadow the rest of the card, unless it's for the championship. Um, yeah, like uh, like uh, last year, Reigns versus Undertaker closed the show, but you had Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg for the Universal <laughs> Championship, which I'm glad wasn't the world that wasn't the ending, considering as short as it was. But at the same time, it was just it was what it needed to be, and it was perfect for that match. But they need to get back to the focus being on to me people that are going to be there, and you've got a guy who's been there. You know, the ultimate part-timer once a year for the past few years with an occasional sprinkling of showing up every once in a while against a guy who's really on his way out transitioning into other roles. You know, I don't know. I'd like, I mean, I don't want to see it because we just spent, you know, we put finality on it. It feels like for us, and that's selfish to say, but when we did that season, it's like, that's it. Don't, don't come back. Don't ruin it. Um, but, you know, if it happens, I'm just going to, Enjoy it, I guess. To counter that, uh, the, I, I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago. The Brock Lesnar Goldberg match, I would have actually been 100% fine if that had been the last match. That's my favorite match on that card. That thing is epic for being five minutes. It's like it's like Godzilla versus Mothra or something. I mean, they're just tearing down cities. On top of that, to to piggyback off the idea that Jason threw out there, I am getting a little tired of you win the Royal Rumble and you don't main event WrestleMania. Like it kind of diminishes the importance of the Royal Rumble. And I honestly, from what I can remember, that started with our WrestleMania at 27, because that was the year that I believe Del Rio won. And he, It was and, actually years before that, because Taker won the Royal Rumble and he eliminated seven. Sean. Yeah. And he didn't main event. He fought Batista like halfway through the right. card. Okay, but the Del Rio one, they yeah. opened the show, and it was just kind of shocking. I mean, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how much you don't want to see the match, I don't think. I think if you win the Royal Rumble, you should either be the final match or on a very special exception like Sean Taker at 26, be the match right before. Yeah, because I mean, what what else is the point? You know, it just it just it, it hurts the Royal Rumble, if anything, for me. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. Um, toss that thing that you read about. What was it? Is, is it the 35? So yeah, there was this rumor that hit the internet that uh, you know you, you know. 
with wrestling, it's always hard to tell what to believe, but that, that they were saving John Cena versus The Undertaker for WrestleMania 35, because it's, you know, it ends in a five, basically. And while that is a, a really great idea, you know, on paper, like you said over the phone to me, Taker's not going to get better in a year. He could be in amazing shape physically, but that's still like a 53, 54-year-old guy inside. And I, th I think that that would be a major risk. And I don't think it's that big of a deal to have it at 35. I mean, probably the biggest WrestleMania main event of all time is Hogan and Andre, and that's at three. Right. So, And there's no guarantee that Taker can make it that long. And Warrior Hogan's at six. Warrior Hogan's at six. I mean, I like that match a lot. Yeah. And 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 that's a monster of a match. Yeah, just throw that at six. I, I think they feel like they have to have these big matches on the zero <laughs> well, and five cards. That's twenty-five. <laughs> twenty-five is a happen. dud. And and, <laughs> and Taker, if that match hadn't been so good with Sean, I don't think that they would quite. Because like I said, every from, from that season, everything that we've seen from Taker since then is basically just a, a, a modified version of what we saw at twenty-five. Yeah. They feel like it has to be a thing with Taker at Mania and yeah 10 years later it's him and John Cena and I I don't I don't know I, I think if they were to do the match they should do it now because apparently Sting is just a non-factor yeah as much as I want that yeah no matter how awful it is I felt like this was it. If it was going to happen, if this was going to be the only, the last chance it was going to be. I but... can't imagine putting that off for another year because <sighs> yeah. Sting has got to be almost 60. Yeah. So we'll wait and see. Of course, like, if... The one thing I will say will be exciting, because obviously now, if if they're going to bring Taker in, it's not going to be till after this Fastlane pay-per-view. Or maybe at Fastlane. Or at it, whatever. So the promos, though, it won't start at least till after that. Those are gonna be fascinating because I have no. I feel like it would be, it'd be first of all Cena in a in a program a promo program with somebody who's not gonna do the whole I'm gonna make fun of you like the the Rock was brutal in some of those like his sixth grade kind of sense of humor the way he would uh, yeah, I mean some of it kind when of came he first from, did it it was amazing but don't, don't you know what rap I mean? to me right stuff like that but you know what I mean the diminishing returns Absolutely. of it were, were the Rock concert edited. yeah. And then Cena came out in his Thugonomics gimmick, right? Which was actually, man, I never thought I missed that, right? But I, I loved when Cena I, did that. I think the promos could be fascinating. I'm interested to see how they would play off. I think I'm more interested in the promos <laughs> than why in does, the match. Why does Undertaker need to beat John Cena? That's good. That's the challenge. That's what the challenge is going to be for him. On why the does mic. John Cena need to beat the Undertaker? This is where this is where you've really got to do your homework and your your I mean just a lot of work on the writing side and with the guys like you can't just it it can't, can't just throw them together yeah you can't do it like it it's gonna require work but I think if they put it in it could be really cool at least on the promo side the match is a whole different thing well the match is like yeah because like I was telling you well, on my way here I don't like what they're doing with Cena right now I just don't like it. He's got this whole Chris Jericho thing going on from five years ago where it seems like his only purpose in wrestling is just to lose cleanly to all the new guys. Yeah. How many times has he lost to Roman Reigns? He gets pinned by him all the time, and it's just like it's nothing. Yeah. You know, and, and I know we always talked about how we wish John Cena would lose a little bit more and, and more cleanly, but I didn't mean all the time. Right. You know, I don't want to sound like a displeased wrestling fan, but there is a value in beating John Cena. Sure. And and I think the last time it actually mattered was when Kevin Owens did it on his very first uh, pay-per-view. That was tremendous when that happened. And then Cena had to beat him like eight times after that to get it back. Right. So, 
I don't know. We'll see. I mean, um, WrestleMania is not until April what? Uh, Probably the first April week 8th. in April. April 8th. Mm-hmm. So we're still going to have a few more shows under our belt, but we'll check in with this, you know, oh, as, yeah. as it progresses. We'll see if there's, if they if they end up actually pulling the trigger on it or if it really is just they were telling the truth, like the match is impossible. I don't know. But here we are with season five. Wind the clock back. We're going back to ni- July of 1990. Um, we're at the Great American Bash, which for, for the most part was a Baltimore-centered um pay-per-view. I, th- I know I know they at least come back here in 92 because that's where the Ron Simmons match is. Oh, yeah. I think. Right? Is that Or is that in a batch? That may be on a show. I forget. I'm actually blank on that rough time. But I'm pretty sure Great American Bash for a time is a has a couple stops in Baltimore. But it's a good spot for it. It's timely just with the whole theme of it. This... Uh, I was blown away with the uh, the opening of the show, and I know Jason's got some notes on it, so I'm not going to say too much. But I just love that 1990s Photoshop of of WCW slash NWA wrestlers on a on figures from the American Revolution and portraits. Jason, what were some of your notes on that? Well, I mean, I hit the look, behold the early days of Photoshop, but my favorite one is the Scott Steiner star is cutting a promo on the flag <laughs> about how there's. Probably thirteen. There are thirteen colonies and fifty states, and just I was in my head. It's just like I, I couldn't do it. I was sitting there trying to write a stop, and I'm like, you know what? It's not fair to do that because he's not that Scott Steiner during this. So. Man, not even close. I know, but you're still thinking that he. I, I was. You know what's in there? It's. You can <laughs> see it in there a little bit. Yeah, and let, yeah. The, let the past die. Cool, cool it up, Cool it up, <laughs> <laughs> but I still love you know, seeing Scott Steiner do a Frankensteiner and his little it's 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 what he does after yeah <laughs> yeah the the, pop, the the oh man it's so cool because when I see that I think of Brock Lesnar's shoulder pop and then go my God Brock Lesnar's huge and Scott Steiner's huge now like the just the size difference because it's the same motion yeah but it looks like you put it with Brock Lesnar it's like rah when you see Scott Steiner in 1990 it's like yeah it, it's Oh man! Interesting this theme. Is gonna be- yeah, the theme here is the new revolution, and I feel like, regardless of what we say about the show and some of the matches, I feel like they do a good job of sticking to this theme in more ways than one. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was, kind of timely that they use that here, and for us being it's our first episode of the season, it really was fortuitous that we ran into that. So. Um, Jason, I don't know if you have your war still against the British uh, pop charts, so do you know, did you do your thing this time about... No, the reason why I did it last time is because the matches we were doing were a, a year apart. Okay. So this one, this one being that they're just a couple months apart, wouldn't it be as interesting? Fair enough. Okay. So we can we can see, we can move on from that. That's okay. Right off the bat, the first thing, the very first thing I saw with this crowd was a, a sign that says Sid Rules. And I loved it because I was like, "He's a heel." Yeah, exactly. In 1990. Yeah. And and, and he's and, not and like, even really no, Sid he's yet. not Sid yet. And <laughs> he's the Sid from the action figure that I, you know, my very first wrestling action figure. You know, with that with that yeah. onesie. Yeah. But yeah, like you can see, like where it doesn't matter. Sid was one of those first guys where it doesn't matter if he's heel or face. Right. People love that guy. Yeah. I mean, it made me think of Survivor Series '96. 
Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Where it's just like, and we there's actually you know not to bury the lead here, but there is a chant later in that in Sid's actual match. We want Sid. Yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting. Um, I when I saw Jim Ross was calling, I forgot who he would be doing it with. All I wrote was Bob. Bob Coddle. Who the Bob hell Coddle. is Bob Coddle? I don't know this guy. <laughs> He's kind of a doddering old fool. Dude, That's what I love about yeah, him. Like. It's like he's trying to do play-by-play. <laughs> like, there's no color. He reminds me... Uh, the the first remake of The Longest Yard was actually a, a British soccer movie. Mean mean Machine? Yeah. Yeah. And it was produced by Guy Ritchie. But there's this one line in there that I absolutely love. The one commentator's like, uh, I don't know, but he looks like he's ambidextrous. And the other one's like, I don't know about that, but he can sure use both legs really well. And it makes me... <laughs> that's what Bob Cottle reminds me of. It's like he... Reminds me. Reminds me of Pootie Tang, because Chris Rock's character will go off on these, like, over-describing things, and I can't remember the guy's name that's just always with him, because it'd be like, oh, man, this party's so exclusive, air can't even get in there, and the guy's like, yeah, and it's really hard to get into. I should have looked up his name. It's like, that's Bob Cottle with Jim Ross to a T, with Jim Ross's long calls. And I, it's and fucking great. Because I feel like they've, they've called a lot of matches together. This isn't, like, just a flash-in-the-pan pairing. Like, I've heard him talk a lot about calling matches with Bob Cottle. So I don't think, like, I have, I don't remember a lot of Jim Ross commentary teams before this. I know we're going to be coming up very soon where he and Paul Lee team up, and it's awesome. But that's, I think, two shows from now with Halloween Havoc. But uh, I just, we'll be, I know we'll be coming back to it because it feels like Jim Ross is close to being Jim Ross, but he's not quite there yet. I feel like he's not quite there yet. He makes a lot of sports analogies. A lot of pop, he does some pop culture. Tries to sprinkle it in there. Oh, and he gets a lot of stuff wrong. Yeah, which is the best. <laughs> I'll get to it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I will. <laughs> what the? He just sounds ignorant <laughs> when he does that. But um, we won't waste any more time, Jason. We're right off the bat. We have an opener here with Nature Boy Buddy Landell taking on Flying Brian. And God, what an opener! <laughs> Um, first thing I want to say, though, is we're watching wrestling, and the front row is full of old people. I, I, I pointed that out, and they're fat. There's a lot of... Th- this is truly... It uh, feels like Ellis Island. Like, there are... T- <laughs> you know what? You have... Ev- Come on in! Come on! You have ev- all types of different people. You do. It's like a melting pot. And it's really cool. Yeah, I like it. It's because I, I, that was one of my first things, too. When I looked out at that crowd, I was like, that does not look like a WWF no. crowd. And I like that, though. But see, this is also still during the time when part of the promos for wrestling, because remember, this is this is when I was really watching, like a lot of WCB. This was during the summer. We had a cookout this day. The whole point was to watch the Great American Bash. There was no school the next day, so we did. I didn't have to go to bed. We didn't have to tape it. Um, but this is back when part of promo packages for coming to wherever to see him was free air conditioning. Oh, really? So, <laughs> yeah, still. So it's like you gotta remember that. Way, oh man, I get to pay some money and get to see a show and sit in some air conditioning and shit. Um, but also the reason, like, if remember, these are people that, and I love it when old people are at wrestling because it's so it's still like they come from a time when it was presented as completely real. That's true. You know, so they're still into it, and it's still just it's just something for them, and it's it's so cool that they're the ones in the front row. And they're treated to Nature Boy Buddy Landell with his god awful Ric Flair cosplay. Um, How is he allowed just, to do that? 
I think that's how he was brought in. He or he, that was one of. Did, I think was he was he a set protege up for of flares. He was set up to be like this big opponent for him. I'll tell you real quick. Go listen. Uh, I know he's passed, but not long. Not it was. It was definitely before. Like I'd say, like a year or so before he passed, he did one of the best Colt Cabana um, art of wrestling pods. It's fantastic. Uh, hearing him talk about wrestling, it's it's really really a lot of fun. But yeah, I know it's weird to see another nature, nature boy, and I'm like, in the first match, and then in the last match. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a bookend. Um, but I just want to know where Brian Pillman's hiding the handgun in those tights, because I mean, man, those are all of fun. But uh, what's invasion. cool, yeah, what, what's great is this. It, it's going to take a while for me to get in the mindset to watch this era of wrestling in the ring because it's so so very different in pacing and presentation than what it is now it's it's jarring even when we went back and started you know when we watched 99 wcw was different when we went back further into mid 90s ecw was different and then this is like this is a completely different animal um but one of the best things is you know it's a wcw show and it's our first one in a while, and we got to start off with Jim Ross saying, I started off the night by saying we have five championship matches, but we'll only have four, as our TV title will not be defended because the TV champion, Arn Anderson, is not a six-man tag. If that's not typical WCW fashion right off the bat... You're right. What is? Like, that's oh a, yeah, we're going to have... Six. No, we're not. <laughs> that's a, No, that's actually a great point, because it also goes against the rules. Every time yes. we're on TV, the title's defended. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um Jim Ross is really bad about getting on to people about their physical appearance in this one. Uh, the physique is not Buddy Landale's forte. Um, he will go off on many people throughout the night. Uh, but Buddy Landale stomped to Brian Pillman's head. At one point, looks nasty. It looks like he really like slipped and, and laid it in there. Um, but, I mean, this is like... you like Remember, like, we used to talk about, Will, you'd bring it up, that your, your opening match needs to have that kickoff soundtrack to just get people hype. And the opening match's kickoff is the booze of Buddy Landale already being in the ring. And then when it's time for the entrance music, Brian Pillman's three-quarters of the way down the ramp before his little jingle kicks in. Um, it's, you know, I don't see this being a opener to a pay-per-view show that's going to be such a big deal. So, pretty boring. That's what I think. Okay. I, I didn't rate it because didn't I didn't it? rate. I didn't rate it because it's it's right until it's not fair. For, the way I'm looking at it, for me to rate these things because it's so different. Because I'm I'm gonna mistakenly rate it based upon how match you know I, I perceive matches now. Now I get ratings as the night goes on because it took me three days to oh. watch the show. Oh boy. Oh man. Things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I mean, well, I mean, could you give it a rating? Like at this very moment, like could I give it a rating? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, uh, but to help you out, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's what I that's what I need. You nah nah nah. Um, <laughs> I would go say if I had to rate this match, I'd rate it an elbow. Um, no, it's a it's a three. Okay. Hey, Charlie, what'd you think of this match, man? <laughs> well, let me start with... Oh, do, do what, Jason? Don't crack each other up too much. <laughs> uh, I, I like... I'll start with what I like. I like that 
it's Brian Pillman in the first match. It reminds me of uh, uh, Monday, the first Monday Nitro. Brian Pillman is a good guy to get in your first match, especially in his early days. Buddy Landell, I think this is, I mean, I know that name. I think this is the first time I've ever seen him in a match. I'll, I'll give him this. He has an old school way about him that I really dig. He knows how to get on people's nerves. He like, what was it, him flexing? I like that he flexed. I was like, because there's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was good. JR, right when the match starts, right off the bat, JR goes, Oh, and here we go. And now we kick off Starcade 1990. And it's just kind of forgotten. <laughs> JR doesn't know where he's at. Um, it's, I, this match kind of. This is something I forget about, but this match kind of reinforced it, as does this entire pay-per-view. WCW has a really strange, and it comes across as cheap, way of doing theme songs. Like, like what was it? Pillman's theme song kicks off when he's halfway down the ramp. Landell doesn't even have one. Like, some wrestlers have them, some don't. Some are magically in the ring by teleportation. It's It's weird. And, and it's it's hard. I think it's just because I'm so accustomed to WWF. Everybody had a song. Everybody had an, a recognizable song at that. And WCW didn't really start to really grasp how to do a song until honestly, like for me, '97 or '98. Because even in the you know like '95, '96, I remember some themes would jump around to other people. It's like, oh, that'll probably sound good with this guy. Uh, the theme I always liked was Sting, which we get to hear later. But it's just. It seems put together kind of hastily at the last second, and it, it just doesn't come across well on television. I remember going to you know to wrestling shows where this would happen live, like back in the '90s, and it's not that big of a deal. But on TV, it's like, oh, here he comes, you know. Just and, and sometimes they, as you see, they'll come out and they're not even focusing on them with the camera. I thought the match actually was it was okay, it was decent, uh, not a not a good opener, but. As, a, as an individual match, there's not a lot I can complain about or praise. I, I, I gave this a five. I'm right with you, the five. I actually like the match a lot. Yeah. I gave it a five. I still think it's it's only as good as a five. I think Landell's amazing. He is a great heel. He is fantastic. This And what I love is that this first match fits into this. Like I feel like, um, I said it earlier, the New Revolution thing, that they tie into this. A lot of these matches feature an 80s guy versus a rising 90s guy. Mm -hmm. And that's really cool that they they took the time, whether they meant to or not, but they actually booked a few of the matches to, to be that, beyond just Sting and Flair. And I, I love I love in this era of wrestling where like if a guy has a top rope finish, he doesn't go to the top rope really for anything else, which makes it very like special that. when he does. And the crowd is into it. By the time he hits that, it's... Um, I think the the psychology in this match is really something to I I love just taking note of it because you just don't see that a lot nowadays. Not to knock it, it's just something you don't. So it makes you really I don't know appreciate this type of match a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, all his stuff, the hair pulling, the taunts, the just all the little things Landell does are so so good. He has a great match with Brett in WWF in mid '90s. I think somewhere a few years later, he gets another run. At, he gets a brief run in the WWF, and it's not much, but he has a pretty good match with Brett that I think you can find on YouTube. Landell's one of those dudes I've I've heard either through him or through other things that he um, was just one of those rare guys who picked it up at 18 could wrestle like a champ and just. As he said, it's an old school '80s type of dude. So, yeah, five. Definitely, I think it's nine and a half minutes. Not 
not too bad. Doesn't feel as long as some of these other matches feel. But uh, yeah, I think five. Even though I like it a lot, I think five is about as high as I can go. I don't think it really deserves to go any higher. So. Um, as we're gonna see after a few of these matches, uh, we're gonna we're gonna shoot it up to Gordon at the top of the ramp. Some of the wrestlers know it's uh, some of the wrestlers don't understand what's going on when they do it, but whatever. This first one though is it's 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 Gordon Soley kind of giving a an overview of the card. He talks about the main event. This is why I'm here. <laughs> a lot of talk, not just from Soley, but from both guys. They are gonna be talking about Big Van Vader. This is his debut. His debut. How cool is that? Man, we lucked out with this. Um, it does the the one thing though I appreciate even seeing Gordon Soley at this point where you know he's I'm not gonna say he's phoning it in but you know it's definitely not peak Soley by any means but it really you really grow to appreciate what a backstage interviewer can do compared to what the guys nowadays like their role their role in the whole thing is definitely different it makes you appreciate though guys like Soley and what they were doing but that takes us to our next match. There's a barn burner for Charlie here. The Iron Sheik taking on Captain Mike Rotunda. How can you be the captain and still have a boss? <laughs> I, I could well, there is an admiral. Well, there is I mean, an admiral. Yeah, but the captain of a ship. I mean, yeah. But you're right, Admiral Mike Rotunda. It's kind of hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> he's an admiral. You know, you, 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 the varsity club. You get why he's the captain. I get, right? I get it. But you just don't like. He's it. just no. <laughs> so he's the captain of the other guy. I mean, I think, uh, like he's the captain of the stable. I can understand that. Like every stable needs a leader, but that's not good enough for me. Uh, <laughs> that's like it just. This is one area where WWE, I think, excelled was what What do we do with Mike Rotunda? And, oh, I, I think IRS is an amazing gimmick. It would be like if, if Vincent was coming out today, still NWO member Vincent, but there's no NWO. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Seems like they're trying to just pin something on a guy that they just don't see as being, you know, someone that has a great personality or someone who, who can't get by on their own. It, it just, and, and I see this sometimes in this show going forward is it's really weird especially with Iron Sheik where WCW I, I have, don't have memories of WCW being overly gimmicky with a lot of their performers but when they have a WWF guy and they're not changing their gimmick whatsoever it definitely sticks out against you know basically what's what amounts to an, an NWA type style which is it's just a bunch of guys yeah you know so Oh, you want me to lead with this? Yo, yeah, yeah. This oh, is your match. Oh, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. I, I, I think Iron Sheik has roid belly. Looks <laughs> really weird. Though I remember, like, I, the only road I actually know was Captain Question Mark. But I, uh, I, I do remember some things. Like, I remember Iron Sheik somehow manages to wind up on the second rope. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, He's and I think Rotunda was outside the ring. I'm like, there's no way. Not in a million years. It was like a video game move. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, back in the old days when you could do, make a, a big guy do anything. But yeah, Iron Sheik, I mean, he's doing his usual shtick. It's the same gimmick from the 80s, um, which works. There's a lot of people in the crowd with these strange, like, finger American flags. Like, yeah. And whenever Iron Sheik gets in their face, they wave it right in his face. Like, I know where I am. <laughs> And, and I'm telling you, oh, you like it. I'm telling you, I don't like it. Like, like that's how this works. 
And it's usually this old bag that's sitting. <laughs> it's, she's got like curly hair and glasses. And yeah, Sophia she, over here. She's, yeah, yeah. So, Sophia Petrillo. She's gonna hit him with a purse. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it, she's just not having it. Uh, the match, it's not very good. Uh, <laughs> Rotunda, I, I I like him when he's IRS. I, I I don't I don't care for him. Varsity Club, this version. Um, I'd give this a four. Okay, cool. Jason, how about you, man? What do you think about uh, pre-Irwin R. Scheister here? Uh, I love weekend pontoon enthusiast Captain Mike Rotunda because he's not he's not captain of the Varsity Club at this point. Varsity Club's done. He's got an anchor on his tights. His wind blazer that he comes out in looks like what the rich yuppies were wearing on yachts when they'd go yachting. But he's not rich and stuck up because he's fighting the Iron Sheik. So, Will, I'm going to need you to make us a Captain Ron Mike Rotunda Photoshop thing, um, if you can get that. I think that would be pretty pretty funny. Um, they keep talking about Jim Ross, talks about how Mike Rotunda was a two-sport athlete at Syracuse, but he never mentions what sports. So I'm just going to assume wrestling and boating. Um, Jim Ross gets a really good line in that says, the Iron Sheik, after he makes his terrorist attack, thought he was going to get, or thought he was going to get things to go his way. Yeah. So where's Toby Keith's tribute song for Mike Rotunda? Because he was a victim of a terrorist attack, according to Jim Ross here. Um, at some point, the Iron Sheik, being the dastardly heel that he is, is not letting go of the ropes while he's got Mike Rotunda in a, an abdominal stretch and the ref sees it and just boots his hand off the rope. He just kicks him. Mm -hmm. Hilarious. Um, Gary Michael Chapata is on the phone a whole lot during this match outside. If you look, he's, you'll see him in between matches. He's on the phone a lot. So I guess he's getting fed when he needs to be an announced. Um, but there's a little bit of crowd action going on in this match because it was so boring. You, you just happen to see it. This is right after, uh, as Charlie, you put it, the old lady, I named her Mama June. It's right after she holds her tiny American flag, which is still wrapped around the stick, by the way. I thought it was like one of those red, white, and blue popsicles used to get back in the day. She's like, oh, you look hot and sweaty, old man. Have this. Um, but uh, Usher leads a group of guys to the third row, and there's an argument going on. And it's very brief because there's three people standing with the Usher, but only one person gets up and leaves. So it was kind of weird. I was hoping there would be more out of that, and unfortunately there wasn't because I was watching the rest of the night. This match is 40% rest holds, 30% posing, and yet these two guys are sweating their asses off into this thing. Um, more great, great, great call-outs from the commentary. Uh, and I'm surprised you didn't pick up on this one, Charlie. Jim Ross goes, The Sheik, with those clubbing blows, seems to have forsaken his amateur background. And as I say that, he hits a belly-to-back suplex to Mike Rotunda. <laughs> that shit was hilarious. It's just like, that. That I don't know how you do that. Um, you, you just really make fun of yourself. Um, I'm still confused about the rules because the Sheik rakes Mike Rotunda's eyes like four times right in front of the ref. I thought that was supposed to be a disqualification. Um, the ref counts to four, and Captain Mike wins. Uh, yes. You know, kind of weird. It was a four count. <laughs> I missed you know, that. I haven't seen that in a while. <laughs> the good old four count? Yeah. You could just see the crowd react to the three, and he's like, I got one more in me. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Pin me, pay me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But, yeah, uh, I guess I got to give this uh, I give this a three as well. So far, WCW is not living up <laughs> to the memories that I had. 
Um, yeah, I, when I saw Cap, when I saw Captain Rotunda come out, I was like, I, saw, I, I literally thought like he, he he was stuck like at the airport or something. They had to rush him in, so he's just kind of. Like oh, he was just wrestling with what he had on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at least for like he didn't have bother to change like the upper. Like, oh, I'll just put my tights on the cab here. Damn it! <laughs> we I, had to drop Ray and Bo off with the the, the ex wife. I, I honestly I didn't notice the anchor. I thought they were just really playing up the varsity club captain. I didn't right. really put it when, when I, <laughs> I didn't put it back to the boating thing at all. Well, when Jason said that, it made me think of like, what if the mayor from Jaws was a wrestler? Oh yeah. <laughs> You say Barracuda. <laughs> Everyone goes. The mayor what? from Jaws is a fiscally responsible mayor. He doesn't buy new clothes. That's why he's wearing the same blazer in a movie that's set what two and a half years later. Um, what a conservative! I th the one thing I found real, at least semi-realistic about it was like I could believe Sheik would dominate, dominate quote unquote this match because you unseated Bob Backlund and. Hulk Hogan really like barely beat you to win that belt. The way that match was booked, which was good, it was fine. So I, I, I at least, I at least like that he commanded as much of this match as he did. I think somebody screwed. I, I don't think he could get free of the backslide. I feel like that was not the finish because Captain Mike does not look happy after the match. He looks pretty upset. And if you look at and there's no camel clutch. No, no, no. I feel like there was more to this match because it only goes six forty six, which. Compared to the last match, which, which went nine and a half minutes, I feel like there was still a little bit more in the tank for this, and unfortunately, the Iron Sheik just couldn't. <laughs> which I mean, he's a big boy at this point, like trying to get free of a backslide. Maybe this wasn't the spot to do three quarters of the way through the think, match. Well, I always think the backslide's kind of funny because if you just keep letting the momentum take you, you should be able to roll out of that no problem. Exactly. <laughs> but oh, it, oh, it reminds no. me. All right, I don't even know how what you call this spot, but you guys have seen it, and, and I'm going to struggle to describe it. But can't wait. It's when a, there's a wrestler on his back. There's another guy who is on top of him. His back is like pressed against his belly. He's got him hooked, and they both have to stand up at the same time. The referee will count. Oh, the Northern Lights. No. It, it, what will happen is like the bridge. It's kind of like a bridge, but like it requires both guys to work together to to stand up at the same time. It makes the guy on the bottom look like a monster, but, but it's the actually the other guy. Up. Yeah, and but then that like, goes into the backslide. Yes, yes, yeah, the guy twists about. it into the backslide. Exactly. Like that's one of those spots too. That's like this where it's like, unless you guys are on the same page when you start that spot, somebody's. Probably going to be stuck in a bad three count out of nowhere. It's going to look like Roman trying to tombstone Undertaker. <laughs> this is terrible. But yeah, um, this one, this one definitely was a, a bit of a fall off. I have it at a four as well. I cannot wait to see Rotunda get to do BIRS because that's really peak. That's truly peak Rotunda. That's beautiful. Oh yeah, it's a, it's such a good gimmick. Um, so now we shoot up to Soli, who is with. He's back, folks. He's back. He's back in our podcast. So many years later, it's Harley Race, and although he seems like a heel and talking about Tommy Rich, he kind of acts like a face when he's talking about Ric Flair against Sting. It's really interesting. Like I, I'm, <laughs> I, I hate this. I just hate. You don't it. like it? You don't? No, like... no. This sucks. Because are you talking about in general? When they talk. Everybody talks about the main event. Yeah, because it's like, oh, what a coincidence! All the heels want Flair, and and they're betting money on it. Some of them, and and then there's I think Luger later is like, oh, Sting's got this in the bag. And I'm like, and I know it's early '90s wrestling, but it's just like, 
What? Like, couldn't somebody just say, I honestly have no idea. <laughs> just Who? Yeah. <laughs> he agreed, doesn't even know. Like, yeah. Who's your who's I'm not event? the main event. <laughs> it just, it's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, um, up next, we go back to the ring for, it's Dirty Dutch Mantel versus Doug Furness, the world's strongest man. <laughs> or as I told Charlie on the phone, I think this is the prototype for the complete man, Lux Lager. Because <laughs> this guy, Doug Furness, at this point of his career, looks like just another version of Lex Luger, which is like... With a stupid face. Yeah, yeah. He's jacked, looks awesome, but his moveset is very, very limited. I can do a great gorilla press. Yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? He had an awesome drop kick. I wrote one, I have one commentary note for this. I, I love when Bob Cottle's like, Jim, you're from the Southwest. You ever you ever hear where Dutch is from? Well, I'm from Oklahoma, Bob. I, I don't know Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I had that too where Bob, Jim Ross explains that Oklahoma and Texas are different places to Bob Cottle. Um, this match goes 11 minutes and 18 seconds, and it feels like it's still going right now. It is interminable. Uh as, I think Dutch Mantel's hair grew like four yeah. inches while the match was going. And, and Dutch Mantel, to me, is as good a like of heel in a lot of ways as Buddy Landell. But it just doesn't work in this match because Doug Furness is not flying. Brian does not have the the doesn't have the ring presence in terms of being a wrestler. He has a look. He has a great look. I can definitely say like he has a he looks like a champion. He looks like he could be a champion. But then he starts wrestling and it all goes away. Um, it just doesn't work. This match is a three for me. That's all I really got to say about it. I just, it, it, um, I, I can see where Mantel is, he's, he's definitely building on where Blandell and Sheik were, but the match just never really comes together. And I'm just, I, I'm so happy when it's finally over. Doug Furness, by the way, gets the win. I forget, do you remember the finish for it? Yeah, I have it written. Oh, good. So, all right. Well, Jason, what's, um, what are your thoughts on this one? It was cool to see Doug Furness on the podcast again. Um, it's just it's a significantly different Doug Furness than the one that we saw in ECW because uh, it's a lot slower pace. Um, it's just like it's cool. He starts off the match. Uh, Doug Furness does pulling a Carol Burnett by tugging on his ear and looking dead at the hard cam saying hello to his mom, uh, which is thought was awesome. This match has a lot of let's go to the corner. I'm going to chop you. Let's go to the opposite corner. I'm going to chop you. And then they repeat that spot like five or six times. Um, Doug Furness's drop kick is really good, though, um, for a guy that big, because not only does he do a drop kick, but he flips in the air, or kind of spins. Flip is a as a strong word. Um, there's some guys in the crowd that they bought tickets together for the row, but they didn't realize that their tickets were going to be separated by a freaking pathway. So you see them leaning over, talking to each other an awful lot, um, and they're not liking what they're seeing. It's kind of funny. Um, I think one of the guys that you can read his mouth literally says, fuck this. I'm not sure what he's talking about. Um, I just, uh, I don't know. This match was very, very boring because I got excited when Doug Furness was like, oh, yeah, I remember Doug Furness. And then this just really sucks. When's uh, Dutch Mantel going to become a manager and put on a jacket? I gave this a three also. Charlie, what, talk about that finish. What was it first off? I don't remember. It's actually the, the highlight of the match. Uh, Doug Furness hits Dutch Mantel with, I've never seen this really, a, a snap belly-to-belly -belly suplex. Oh, yeah. And he does it so fast, and it looks incredible. And it's like, oh, that's the finish. It's like, that's got to be it. And three count. So that, 
that helped the match <laughs> from the the barrels of despair. I mean, it, it's just this match is 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 it's not good. It, it's just bad. And Doug Furness, like when I think of Doug Furness, I I, I usually can't even say his name without Phil Lafon. You know, it's like those two names went together so well, and, and, the, and the mediocrity that was produced is unparalleled even to this day. Uh, Dutch Mantel, I'm not sure if I've ever seen him wrestle before. Mm. You know, I, I mean, you know, I know him as Zeb Coulter and and stuff like that, but I mean, he—you can tell. I, I think you, I think you were uh, hitting on something that I think would have worked better. I think Dutch Mantel could probably have a good match with Brian Pillman. I think their contrast and styles would have been far more suitable. But then that means I would have gotten Buddy Landell and Doug Furness, and I probably oh, would have just no. shot myself. <laughs> uh, the, the match is not, not you, like I said, not good. Could you possibly rather blow your brains out? Uh, well, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, though, I, I for some reason have this at a four. I must have liked that drop kick too. <laughs> um. So now we shoot back up to um, Gordon Soli, who now has Jim Cornette, who runs down the oh. entire card. No, Cornette's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. He runs down the whole card, though, to the point where I'm like, you know they've already bought the show, Jim. Like His energy level. Oh, yeah. I'm always fascinated with Jim Cornette, how he could be so excited and just, oh, I, I've always liked him. But he's hyped, but he's primarily there to hype up the, I guess we'll go by the full name of him, the, the wild-eyed Southern boys versus the United States Tag Team Champions, the Midnight Express, coming up later. That will be worth noting. Uh, we know. Then we go back to the ring for a rematch, I guess, 10 years in the making, is what Jim Ross likes to try and add to this. It's Wildfire Tommy Rich versus Harley Race. Jason, take it away, sir. Oh, boy. Um, just to cut back to Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette, the tagline, the, the ending of his promo... Is fantastic. You may be champions one day, but not this day. Yeah, that's a really strong end to Ex a pro. Except that it insinuates the idea that his his guys are going to lose the belts at well, some point. I mean, they'll retire. They can know? retire okay. with the championship. Sure, that'd be great. We're, yeah, we're retiring U.S. Tag Champs. Have a good day. <laughs> Bam. Bam. <laughs> I call that a career. But uh. Getting into wildfire, Tommy Rich versus Harley Race. Jim Ross knows everyone's weight, and he knows how much they used to weigh. This guy is spouting off numbers left and right yeah. the whole night. Jim, about, Tommy I, Rich used to weigh 240. Now he's down to 222. This, as this <laughs> night goes on, Jim Ross like gets way, way too into everybody's like real life backstory mm -hmm. to the point where it's like, we get it. These are real athletes. Yes, we, I understand. We get it, James. It's Thank not, you. It's not fake. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Sometimes, oh, at some point during the match, Harley Race hits a really nice-looking Triple H-like knee. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought the same thing. <laughs> With that Paula yeah. Bat knee. Yeah. <laughs> that terrorizing <laughs> knee coming for you. Uh, Tommy Rich sells uh, a pile driver like he's fucking Rob Van Dam. Wow. Up in the air at three feet. Um, and, and here's the thing. The pile driver, which if I believe was Harley Race's finishing move is three minutes into this match and it's not the finish. So you hear all these guys these days, you know, these guys back in 1990, man, they need to slow down and tell a story. I mean, if people aren't getting pinned by pile drivers, what's next? They're not going to get, they're going to be kicking out of high cross bodies. Come on. That shit's ridiculous. Um, I just hate hearing that. Like you listen to any 
wrestlers podcast today and they're interviewing somebody and they're like, oh, they need to slow it down. And then you watch the shit. It's like it's been the same thing. It's just different moves that get transitioned out of um, the first few minutes of this match are pretty good. Uh, to be honest with you, it's a nice, fast pace, very different from the previous few matches we've seen. Um, Jim Ross tries to make it feel like a big deal as opposed to a WCW Saturday night like the other matches kind of feel like. Um, I get that cruel, cruel <laughs> reminder that this is the time period of WCW. We're going over the top rope as a DQ because mm-hmm. both guys go over and Jim Ross points out that that should have been a DQ, but it wasn't. Um just, uh, I look down to take that note about, oh man, I remember the double DQ, and then I look up and the match is over. Like it just ended that quick. I rewatched the finish, I don't remember it, but I just know it's like it was all of a sudden. There was no build up, there's no like crowd hype, like, and it's just over with. Um, I don't even remember who won, but I think Tommy Rich won. I think Harley Race won. What? <laughs> really? Yeah. I think Harley Race oh, for won. For revenge? On the 10 years ago match? Yeah, I think so. Oh. Maybe we should go to the videotape to uh, confirm. <laughs> I don't know, but I know this. I know if I wait 10 years to get revenge on somebody, it's sure as hell not going to be match four of an 11-card match. <laughs> In Baltimore. not for any stakes whatsoever. <laughs> you know what? Today's the day. I think I'm just going to walk up there, and they're going to let me do it. Um, but because I like the first little bit of the opening segment of this match, it gets a five. Wow. All right. Yeah, I'll go while you're looking that up. Uh, hmm. Um, hmm. So, I, the pile driver, yeah, because what is it? He gets pile drivered, and then he stands up, and then just kind of wobbles his way through the uh, bottom rope. And mm-hmm. that's how he ends up on the outside. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, I was thoroughly bored by this match. I, I wish I was. I wish I was more excited. Uh, I didn't even. I wasn't even fully aware that Harley Race wrestled into the '90s, and it's clear that he probably probably shouldn't have. Uh, he, he just he just looks like a fat Thurman Merman. Gene Hackman was what I was gonna say. <laughs> Thurman Merman. No, he has that Thurman Merman haircut. You're right. <laughs> hey, shithead. Yeah. Uh, this might be the worst match. Yeah, wildfire Tom. Like, it rem- I was like, why would they call him Wildfire Tommy Rich? And then I started thinking, like, well, there's Wild Man Mark Marrow, but it kind of fit in with whatever gimmick that was he was doing, which is basically a, a more neutered Johnny B. Bad. But Wildfire, I was like, there's nothing wild about this guy. Mildfire, maybe. So th- this this is a three. The Harley Race does win this match, by the way. See. Okay. <laughs> I, Jim Ross, by the way, I, I like how he, he tries to reach again for the sports. He goes, well, maybe Harley Race a fan of the Sacramento Kings with that crown he's wearing on his oh, tights. It's like, nah, man, nobody liked the Kings in 90, man. Nobody liked them. <laughs> nobody did. But that's um, how tough Harley Race was. Is that before yeah. Gretzky? <laughs> that's, we're talking basketball, man. Oh, ba- oh whatever. That's L.A. Kings. Oh, there's too many Sacramento. Lions. Like, I'm there's serious. There's too many like, Lions. Sacramento, like, Mitch Richmond's like the first good NBA player, and that's for another few more years, I think. I don't even, I don't remember exactly, but when he made that call, I was like, are we we're reaching for, are we reaching that hard, Jim, on this? I mean, it's hardly race. It's not like it's a guy who just came out of the, whatever the power plant was called back then. The WCW power plant. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, I think you guys pretty much covered it. I mean, it's just kind of, it's, uh, this is six and a half minutes, so if oh. that, I mean, it, it definitely feels longer than that. Um, 
Yeah, I, I just, I just had, a, it was sad to watch Harley Race just kind of meander through the match. Like, I just want to get back to my cigarette. I got I, my laundry. I think I've, <laughs> I got to go come up with another movie idea that's already been made. But <laughs> Wakanda forever. <laughs> I'd love to see Harley Race as the Black Panther. That'd be one of the greatest movies ever. Harley Races. Never freeze. <laughs> <Harley> <laughs> <laughs> it would be great to see him in that Justice League trailer like somebody get this guy a shield <laughs> <laughs> alright I gave it a 4 um, yeah it's it It was about as bad to me as the Dutch Mantel match you know in terms of yeah, just, hard to pick one yeah so now we go back to Gordon Soley who happens to be standing he's got this up and comer he may have a good future it's me Mark Callis and uh, Paulie Dangerously talking about the US title match they're going to have later um, against the uh, the total package, Lex Luger. Da Paul Heyman is Paul Heyman. Uh, he's he's awesome. I thought it was interesting how his voice, how different his voice was back then. Yeah, I guess that's what ECW does to you. And it's it, it's so bewildering to watch Undertaker as anything but the Undertaker because it looks like it's not even American doing, badass. He's doing some of that with the the gloves and the hands. He's kind of doing like what he would. You would kind of adopt later on when he does the biker persona, like doing stuff with the hands, making it looking real intimidating. But I told you on the phone, it's Mean Mark Awesome is what yeah. he looks like. He just looks like Mike Awesome. Can you imagine if they switched? If Mike Awesome was The Undertaker and he was <laughs> mean, mean Mark Awesome would be in WC and ECW? Mark Awesome. Against the side of Tanaka. That was a match I always wanted. Oh, I know. Undertaker that's my... versus Mike Awesome. Yeah. yeah that I was... thought that could have been incredible. Absolutely. But uh, I, I love Undertaker, or sorry, Mark's mumbling when uh, just in the background. It's so cool because you don't, you know, it was always Undertaker was very stoic. And when he did talk, and it's like literally this version of Mark Callis is like the joke version we've been doing for years. Right. Hey, man, come on, man. Like he's, <laughs> that's WCW Mark Callis. Has a little yeah. bit of problem tearing that shirt up. Right. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> oh, no, it's great. I, I just don't understand how this how this could happen. That he, he is that size. He's clearly still athletic. He's in a double main event at the Great Amer I never knew Mark Calloway got this far in WCW. And then by November, he's in the WWF. That's incredible. The WCW passed on him. It's, I was shocked when I saw that that was the match, that he was fighting for the United States title. That he made it that far and they went, yeah, this guy's no good. It's like... It's probably the greatest wrestler of all time. And you let him go. You fucking idiots. He's got, this the, before he's got this apron leg drop. We're not crazy about it. <laughs> oh, 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 new he's got school. This he calls, yeah, he calls it school. We yeah, just don't get it. Not, he calls it preschool. That's my note. <laughs> preschool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll get, and, I can't wait to get to I that match. I know. Up next... You lucked out, my friend. You get. This I, I did, I guess. It's the. I'm just gonna call them the Southern Boys. I hate calling. I them. will call them the Wild Eyed Southern Boys All because right. I fucking hate that name for a tag team. Brad Arms. It's. It, it's. Is it Scott or Brad Armstrong? Is it Scott Armstrong? Doesn't matter. No, wait. It's. Is it Brad Armstrong? Brad. It, it is. Brad. That's what I thought. It's Brad Armstrong and Tracy Smothers, taking on the United States Tag Team Champions, Beautiful Bobby Eaton, Sweet Stan Lane, Midnight Express. So the wild-eyed southern boys, uh, 
when I first heard them say that, I didn't think it could be real. <laughs> and they kept saying it. And is this real life? Is this yeah, just fantasy? It's because <laughs> it's the name of a thirty-eight special song. And I was like, they really took the name of that song and and applied it to these two guys. I was not looking forward to this match at all. I was I was dreading getting to this match. And I'm so happy to say I was completely and utterly wrong. I loved this match. Like this is the way that this is booked. It is a classic tag team style match, and there were things to get invested in at different times. Like, oh, he's going to try some karate on him, and little does he know that uh, who's the other guy in the the um. Are Tracy Smothers? Well, I'm or Stan Lane. Stan Lane. Little does he know that Stan Lane. Was a fucking karate teacher, and he's way better at it than he is. Real quick, how cool is is he, Tracy Smothers? Now, remember we saw him yes. ECW. He still had we're, a couple of these moves. I kept thinking we're all gonna die. That's <laughs> 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 if this match sucks, we're all gonna die. Like I remember thinking that. Uh, the way that this is that this match plays out is so much fun, and this is this was what I was expecting the whole show to be. Really, it was just good, solid wrestling work, um, and. Unfortunately, this was really, for the most part, the only match that I really saw it in. Um, real quick, Jim Cornette yells at a fan. This is the one note that I actually wrote down. And I, ha I had to write the whole thing out because I was like, man, that's good. Why don't you sit down and wipe that ugly off you, your face, you stinking pig-faced moron? <laughs> I mean, Sounds like a me some Mel Gibson or Alec Baldwin message yeah. to somebody. I was like, did he just come <laughs> up with that off the cuff? or Because there's no way. Like, like, there's like a few set lines that I'm gonna say to people, and because it was so mouthy, and the thing that was that kind of brought it down a little bit was, I think Bob repeated some of it. Like he he has this thing where, he he's like Jr. Did you hear that? He's like, and then he repeats it almost exactly back to Jr. And I and I'm like, you're kidding. Fuck you, Bob. <laughs> Fuck Bob. Bob sucks. I was like, I want to see the poster for What About Bob, but it's it's Jim Ross and Bob Gall. <laughs> Jim Ross is Richard Dreyfuss. Yes, yeah, that'd be great. Um, I don't. I don't even remember how this match ends. <laughs> it's a crazy finish. I think like it. I don't remember every bit of it, but I know that one of the Southern boys gets whipped into the ropes. Lane hits him with like a kind of like an insiguri kind of kick from the apron. That stuns him, and I think is it uh, a roll up? Yeah, I think it is a roll up. Okay, because it's not they don't the they do the rocket launcher, but it's not the finish. Right, right. You think it is, but it's not. They do a great job of head faking you, because from all the re we've seen, that's a problem with wrestling fans. You've seen every finish, you kind of start to you, you can telegraph what a finish is going to be in a match, and they subvert you in this, but right. that, it is a roll up. To clarify your point, good match. I'd give this a seven. Yeah, Jason, how about you, man? Well, uh, the Wild Out Southern Boy gimmick is truly a gimmick that will stand the test of time. I don't see this gimmick having a problem anywhere. Because, you know, it's guys coming out in Confederate jackets with bedazzled Confederate flags on their asses. Mm -hmm. And by default, I'm rooting for the Midnight Express. Um, but, because back in the day when I was a kid, I hated the Midnight Express. Like, in a good way. Because I was a Rock and Roll Express kid, so you couldn't like them. It's the way it was. Coke and Pepsi. Um, but... Uh, the Midnight Express had great music back in the day. They get crappy network oh, edit because they use the Chase really? theme yeah. from Midnight Express. Yeah, their uh, God, their theme is so good. I was so hyped for it, and then I remembered that it is. It's by Giorgio Moroder, who did the you know a lot of Top Gun stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good theme. Good call, man. Um, Jim Ross 
makes a comment that karate is not legal. Yes! Which cracks me up. Um, he also says that Stan Lane has a black belt in Korean karate. No such thing. North Korean karate? or <laughs> <laughs> Neutral zone uh, thing. Where he talks about Stan Lane being a karate teacher, that's a gimmick I want to see. I want to see Just the karate kids. Well, yeah. Well, he's he's the cry teacher who he's gonna lose his school, so he's got to go wrestle for money. Oh, and he's like reluctantly using his karate. But unfortunately, in this match, though, karate breaks down to super kicks and James Bond chops. Um, so it's not actual karate. But you know, we talk a lot about these fans earlier. Will you we were like, yeah, they're really into Sid because they're really into heels. And I don't know if it's because it's the Midnight Express. Or because they're in Baltimore, which was not a Confederate state, but these people are really rooting against the Wild Out Southern Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not happy for them at all, which is weird because they're presented like these young, plucky baby faces. You know, they're they're supposed to be good-looking guys. They're high energy. They get up and do the little Scott Steiner, yeah, after their double shoulder tackles. You know, it's just uh, it's not into it. It's still a really good, solid match. Um, and then we get into Jim Ross, who taking his uh, self-esteem and projecting it on others, where he really gets into Jim Cornette and his weight. Um, it, Jim Ross kind of seems like a dick at times, but the the pinning sequence at the end is really good because, or no, sorry, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. There's the point where all the participants in the match seem to be legal because everyone's rolling each other up and the ref's just doing the two-handed three count. Um, I don't know what the hell's going on. Jim Ross says that the wild-eyed Southern boys are on fire like street players in basketball. You know, I, I, I don't think the Wild Out Southern Boys are anything street players in basketball, Jim. Um, so, Sorry, yeah. Jim. He's got the NBA on NBC on a monitor underneath the table. That's why his mind is on basketball the whole time. And he's got that cool John Tesh. Dun, 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 oh, dun, dun. One of the best. Yeah, I love that theme. Um, I love the SNL skit where it's John Tess trying to pitch different versions of it for all the different sports on NBC. Um, Cornette. Okay, here we go. Here's Jim Cornette, the most, you know, the time, like, most hated manager be, uh, because he had the tennis racket. He would just hit the Rock and Roll Express or the Faces or whoever, and it would just always screw people over and people boo. Jim Cornette hits one of the Wild Odd Southern Boys with the racket, and the crowd cheers and starts saying, do it again. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't write that as a note. I, I was legitimately confused as to who the faces were because of this, you know, going into this cold. And I, I think you have a point. Do you th- I mean, do you think it's because uh, Maryland's not a Confederate state or wasn't a Confederate state? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> I know it's because uh, to see to see fans in the '90s cheering for the team that's managed by Jim Cornette. It was very strange. And yeah. So I you know just, how it was. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Man. I was just going to say, so I just had to take the match as it was. I couldn't. Re- I tried not to focus on the fans because, yeah, like this this cheering for the heel business is. I, I really didn't think that that had happened until later uh, in, right. in pro wrestling. Like I think the first memory I really have of it, you know, they talk about how Jake Roberts got cheered over Hogan in WWF, but I've never seen that. Is when. Uh, Sid got cheered. Of course, it's Sid at, at the '92 Royal Rumble over Hogan. Over Hogan, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think it, it also might do this. You know how when in the '90s or the late '90s and early 2000s, 
when the WWF would go to Canada and they'd call it Bizarro World? Yeah. Because, like, oh, people would boo Shawn Michaels and this, this. Well, since it's WCW and it's above the Mason-Dixon line, that's their Bizarro World. It's the only thing I can think of. Because um, they're getting, you know, I mean, I don't think of Baltimore being a northern state, but or excuse me, Maryland being a northern state. But, I mean, maybe they are. But um, Tracy Smothers goes for a double roll-up and then rolls out and goes to the wrong corner to make the hot tag and has to correct himself. I thought that was really funny. Um, it's like the, when you start building up to the finish, this is the first match so far on the show that seems to have a build-up to the finish where it doesn't just come because there's tons and tons of roll-ups. There's tons and tons of kickouts or other guys interrupting the pin. The crowd is just ready for this match to end. And it just, it finally does, and it's a really good finish because, I mean, the Midnight Express won. The crowd is happy. They're not booing that the heels won the match. Um, I parked on that up, but I really liked it. I give this a six and a half. Okay. Yeah, the finish is fantastic. I love that they kind of win with this roll-up after, like, a cheap shot on the outside that it keeps, it kind of keeps some heat for this this feud going on. Like, it definitely doesn't feel like it's over. Uh, by any means, but I really thought like it was. I'd love the head face. Like at one point, it feels like the Southern boys have it, and then once they there's that I forget what the exchange was, but it's like oh no, they're gonna do the rocket launch and they're gonna get this win, and it's like no, no, they're not. And yeah, it was interesting that it came all the way down to that roll up. Meltzer gives this match four and three quarter stars. By the way, wow. he loves this match. I gave it a seven. Um, I think it is a stand up match, and it very easily. I think is a contender, far and away actually a contender for match. Of, excuse me, match of the night. Um, it really depends on what you're looking for when you want to judge this against one of the matches later on. But it's awesome from work rate. Like it's it's great. It goes 18:14 too, and that doesn't feel wow. Really? It goes that long. It's an 18 minute match. I was completely invested the whole time. I know it feels it feels seven minutes shorter. Than the Dutch Mantel match, which was seven minutes shorter than this. <laughs> so um, we move on. We move back to uh, Gordon Soley with the fabulous Freebirds, who are at like oh very shouty and a lot of glitter going on with this. Uh, and then, like it once again, like they they just the direction of the show wasn't spectacular. The, the Kevin Dunn equivalent. Not really the best, or they just, you know, kind of threw it together last minute. Because we go to the steady cam, which Tom Zink is a little put off by or frightened by. He's like, wait, are you, gonna, are you keeping up? Wait, get away from me. Should I slow down? Tom Zink's running to the ring, and maybe he just wants to get this over with. And I don't blame him. He's taking on... <laughs> <laughs> He's taking on Big Van Vader. Jason? Yes. So, I don't know. Do you want to talk about this match? <laughs> well, we're cutting in and out for some reason. I apologize. Um, but yeah, um, it just went like completely dead. The this match is. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not. If you want to pause it or whatever. No, we'll like, just spit all no, over no, it. It's it made fine. me laugh. He said it's dead. I was like, oh god! Uh, it made uh, me uh, laugh so hard just thinking about that. I don't know why. No. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Unlike previous, I guess with this new update of Skype, um, where I've had my phone on Do Not Disturb, it keeps, yeah, it keeps cutting in and out whenever I get a text message or notification instead of just ignoring it like it's supposed to do on Do Not Disturb. So I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, it's, it's all right, man. <laughs> 
Just I clean mean, myself up. Well, you know, Will's a spitter. <laughs> Actually, no, is that the first? That's, you're the spitter. I'm the Charlie. spitter. So imagine how shocked I am. <laughs> Guess who gets to be Newman now? <laughs> um, but let me know when you're ready. I'm still going, man. Yeah, we've been recording the whole time. Okay. That's the amazing thing. Yeah. So when I was nine, when this happened, I was fucking terrified of Big Bang Vader. Because mm-hmm. that presentation, the build-up vignettes were really the focus on his big mask, the, the shoulder pads and everything. And to a nine-year-old, like, you know, it's like the line from Hook to a, where he's like, to a ten-year-old, I'm huge. Mm-hmm. Like, to a nine-year-old, that's fucking scary. And then when this guy comes out, and he's he's ginormous. Um, I do want to ask you guys this question, though. Since most of what you know about Vader is WWF Vader. Incorrect. Already incorrect. Really? Yes. I didn't realize that. Um, But when Vader takes his mask off and he's wearing the full mask and not the straps, did you do a double take? I did. Yeah. This I will give you because I do remember my first memories of Vader are him with Harley Race. When he's coming out and with the Harley's got on that awesome like turquoise like blazer or whatever, and he's got that mm-hmm. killer theme song, and I it's still a little bit down the road when he's kind of putting it all together. He doesn't quite have it all together here. That mask was like oh yeah yeah oh. so so yeah I because uh, <clears throat> I think it should be mentioned like how we remember Vader. Uh, so yeah, so I was always more of a WWF guy, but I watched WCW enough to know that Vader scared the shit out of me. Um, my first memories of Vader were him destroying Sting. And with when he came to WWF, I was so excited because I was like, I, I honestly truly believe Vader is probably the greatest monster heel, at least of, in my lifetime of watching pro wrestling. I was legit scared of this guy. And, and honestly, honestly, um, the only thing he did in WWF that was... That, that was on the level of terror as I saw in WCW was when I thought he killed Gorilla Monsoon. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. And, and, and I was so worried that he killed him. I, I really was. Because <laughs> I thought wrestling was real. And then I, he is the best example I can probably think of other than maybe Sting now where WWF completely dropped the ball on how special he was. And what he was capable of doing, he should have beat Sean at SummerSlam. I was a dick. I was a dick. And, and, I was a dick. And it's a great match with Sean, but I can I always close my eyes usually when I get to that one part where he stomps Vader's head into the mat. I'm like that that guy could rip you apart, motherfucker. Like it made me so fucking mad the first time I saw that. So when I saw this was his first show, I'm I am pumped now. Yeah. Because definitely. we're we're covering the next four years of WCW and this is the Vader that I really remember, with the exception of this show, because yeah, when he took that mask off, I was like, Oh, this is like the Lord Tensai yeah, version. He's not quite there yet. No. He's close. Because that mask is still just yeah. incredible. And I remember even because it's not even really a mask. I mean, not really. But I remember when I first saw him take it off, I was like, That's what he looks like? Yeah, I thought he looked completely different without yeah. that thing on. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pumped for Vader. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to him and Sid Vicious' tag team, Masters of the Power Bomb. Oh, yeah. Cause that shit. Because Vader, 
was the master of the power bomb and master of the pantomime because he is like throwing this entrance full on out. It's so far the most spectacled entrance they have. Um, it's because it's you know he's got the whole presentation with the steam shooting out of the shoulders pads of the on his headset, which they keep referring to as the shoulder pad headset samurai apparatus. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah they don't know. They have no idea what to call this thing. Yeah, and it's it's really really weird. Um, there's not a lot of notes to the match because this what it is is what a squash match should be. For Tom Zink, all I can see is like you can literally see his face when Vader's doing this coming for the splash, especially during a replay. Tom Zink just has like this, oh my god, why, why, oh why did I wear white trunks? Um, <laughs> Vader comes down on him, and it, but it's great. I mean, like I just remember being scared to death of this dude, and that's what you should have. Um, like I give this match a seven because it this 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 is one of the things that starts putting me back in my mindset. Well, <laughs> um, so you gotta you gotta take them like the way that I looked at it. You gotta take the match for what it is. It's a squash match, uh-huh. and Tom Zink, who uh, I've only really started watching his matches within the last year because that's what we were doing. Uh, I really like that guy, and and what he died a few months ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did pass he away did. a few months. Do you remember WrestleMania three? He's in the Can Am connection. Oh God, yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah, that's pretty true. good team. Yeah, pretty good team. So, it's kind of sad to see him being fed to the wolves here. I I wonder if he had ever watched a Vader match before. You know, because you think they have the WWE Network back? Not, in, you know, like, well, like hey man, tape trading. <laughs> okay, you dick, tape trading. Because. If you've never seen Vader fight before and you're about to go in the ring with him, you you got some problems. This guy's pretty good with a hammerlock, I hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah hammerlock. <laughs> I wish he'put me in a hammerlock. What, you know, right when he put him in the corner, I just immediately cringed. I was like, here it comes. Because it's always those, huh, huh, those those punches that he does. And, and you can tell that Zink's getting kind of rocked a little bit by it. I think Zink gets a, a drop kick on him. I think that's the one offensive move he gets, and then it, it's a He gets snuckered versus, like... Yes, take. he does. Yeah, he just gets eaten. Yes, he does. And the I can't go seven, but... Because uh, it's it's a squash match. I, I just can't get too thrilled about it. But it does get him across that this is a guy to take seriously, I think. And, and I think on that level alone, it is a very good squash match, which, for me, I can only rate a five. But I was pleased with yeah. it. By the way, did you get my rating for the tag title, uh, U.S. tag title match? I put it. I gave oh, it a seven. seven. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Um, yeah, you guys, you guys hit on pretty much everything. There's, it's, it's not quite there, Vader yet, but it's still pretty good. His splash is just that replay of it. He, he's just so incredibly athletic, and just mm-hmm. seeing him do that splash, it's really special. I can Didn't only go Vince a, send, Didn't Vince put Vader in a match with Ken Shamrock when he first got there to get him to lighten up? Didn't they tell him to like go out there and stiff the shit out of him? I think still a you're right. Stiff. I think I think Vader roughed him up a little bit. Yep. Yeah. And That's not was, how we do things. And it was to get Shamrock to lighten up. I think so. Yes. Yeah. That, that does oh yeah. Sense. No 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 no. You're right, Jason. I've seen this on. I saw it on YouTube last year. Actually, Vader hits him real hard, like really hard, and Shamrock falls, and Vader waits for him to get up, and Shamrock is clearly like shaking. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, he rings his bell. 
I I like this match. It since it is a squash, like it's it's two minutes sixteen seconds, so it's it is still a very is a very short squash match here. Um, I can go. I can give it a four. I mean, I, I think it's fine. I just I, I hated it, but you know, no, 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 no. I mean, like <laughs> I, I find I do. It's hard to reconcile. Like I know you could have. Uh, could you let me ask you this? Do you think you could ever have like a an eight or a nine rated squash match? Uh, depends. <laughs> I mean, like it does depend exactly. Ron Strowman's used to be really fun. Who I would say is as close to a modern day Vader as you yep. can get. Seamus is Seamus. Uh, when he first came in, he had squash matches, and uh, those were fun. No. Goldberg's like with Hugh Morris. There you, there you go. That's probably the squash match I've seen the most. Is the one, him and Hugh Morris the yeah. very first Goldberg match? No, he's not laughing. No, he's not. He's not even smirking. No. No, I don't think I could ever give a squash match. Up. It's tough. I mean, like it's it's nothing against a seven four by any means. I just I find it hard when I have a match that's that short. It's like it's, unless it's, it's not designed for it. I mean, like the closest we just named it earlier. Like I would say that Goldberg Lesnar match is a sub five minute match. But it's not a squash match. It's not a squash. But it's but it is short. It's but it's short. effective and it's great. And everything what it does. that needs to be done is done. So it does. I mean, it's it's such a cop out answer, but I agree with it completely. That it does depend. It just depends. So yeah, four is. I mean, I'm not gonna belier the point anymore. But yeah, I cannot wait to see like him add a little bit more to his repertoire as we go. I Vader. Cannot, yes. Oh yeah. I cannot wait to see the evolution. He had a great move set. Yeah. We now go to Gordon Soley with the Horsemen. It's Barry Windham, both the Andersons. Yeah, I forgot Oli was still around a little bit longer with this, and uh, and Sid. They talk about the six man, and specifically talk about Eligante. We're going to hear a, probably more than I thought we would ever hear about Eligante in one show. He's the star of the show. He is the star of the show. And I don't think I'd ever seen him in the character before. This oh, is quite different. Oh, really? Yeah, from Giant Gonzalez. Um, so, okay. I'm glad, I'm kind of glad you get to oh, good. Deal, deal with this. Oh, good. So, if you thought the crowd's reaction of the Southern Boys was interesting and obviously a good talking point that we had on the show... Strap yourselves in. It's the free, the fabulous Freebirds taking on the Steiner brothers. I just have a few questions. <laughs> oh, you do, do you? I do. I do. You got some questions? I got some questions for you. Uh, the Freebirds. Okay, so who are the original three? It's Michael Hayes. Um, Isn't Terry Gordy one of them? Ter yeah, Bam, yeah, Bam Bam Terry Gordy. And who's the third one? Is Jimmy Jam... When does Jimmy Jam come into it? Jimmy Jam? Jimmy Jam Garvin. Jimmy, oh, Garvin. Jimmy Garvin. Okay, yeah, yeah. I... I don't know, Jason. Do you know? Do you, I, I, go ahead. I don't know. Okay. I don't know when they, when it's like the three, and now it's just two, and that's Garvin. They didn't always wear um, sparkly clothes. Let's put it that way. It's, I've always been a little confused. You ever seen a movie called Highlander? I have. <laughs> oh yeah, which is a much better version yes. of the Freebirds. Uh, so when I see this. And I see them like that, and then I think about the other times I've seen them, which is, of course, Highlander, yeah. and um, I guess the WWE Network specials on the Von Erichs versus the Freebirds, they make they make it sound like that was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Clearly you don't agree. Well, I mean, I can see how it could be, because I'll, I'll give him this. Michael Hayes, not here, but th some of those promos that he did back then are so good, and he, and he has this very strange charisma. But now... <laughs> I don't really know what WCW is going for with these two. I just don't get it. 
And then you told me about a very specific chant mm -hmm. that happens in this thing, and I was like, okay, hope I don't miss it. <laughs> the understatement of the, of and not podcast. only do I not miss it, but the camera actually focuses specifically on the front row and everyone that's saying it, and the camera follows like a line of people. Like it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut the camera for it. That's where the action is. I feel like Vince came in the room while this was going. On. I was like, oh yeah, I want to see more. I want it. Basically, the the chant that I'm talking about is a faggot chant. Which I hate saying that, but that's that's what it is, and it gets quite the. Uh, this is basically when the crowd turns heel, because <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think that the Freebirds are all that heelish. I hate that promo that they do earlier, because like it's just very shouty, and I don't really know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> but I, I take a knee on these uh, on this because uh, we're in Baltimore. I mean, we are in Baltimore. <laughs> I take yeah. a knee on this at this point in the show. So I, and I was already nervous because I was like, oh, this is a very intolerant crowd, but I get mixed messages from this crowd. Because I got a faggot chant here, and then there's the the hatred for the wild-eyed Southern boys. And when I look on the hard cam, I see nothing but old country look. Because they do look, it does look like it's further south. Country-looking white people, and there's about three or four black people just randomly placed, like right in the middle. Placed and, in the middle, the, like they put them there. Well, that's why I couldn't figure out. I'm like, are they even together? <laughs> hey, hey. Can, can you come here? <laughs> we gotta put you together. Because it, it looks like two of them are talking to each other and the other two aren't. And I'm like, what are the odds that the only four black people that went separately to this show are sitting together? I thought that was strange. And I'll be honest, I haven't said this yet. I was nervous for them the whole time. <laughs> the whole time I was watching. I'm like, because I, I actually paid close attention to them in the in, in two matches ago. Because I wanted to see if they were cheering for the wild-eyed Southern boys. <laughs> And they weren't. <laughs> they were not. But you know, like with the with the chant and 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 Jim Ross is not helping. Uh, oh boy! So Rick Steiner bites Michael Hayes in the ass, like below the trunk line, and he's and he's like, "Oh, that's a bruise we'll never see." I think Bob says that, and then Jim Ross goes, oh, "Well, uh, maybe Garvin can tell us if there's a mark." And I'm like, "Oh boy." He's single, fellas. Yeah. Did you, but real quick, did you have to catch the other like awful chant the crowd does? Not quite as bad as that previous mm, one. Why don't you tell me? Michael is a bitch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Michael is a bitch. Yeah. Is this it, Philly? It, it, right. <laughs> it's They kind of come unglued. Like, they don't like Michael Hayes. And, 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 and the, and the Freebirds kind of played up like, hey, stop that. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Why? Yeah. I have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Oh, I did write that. Yeah, we did. There, Michael is a bitch fan chant. Um, then Jim Ross says what is far and away. I mean, outside of the sports stuff, because I never know if he's right, because I, I don't care. But <laughs> but the uh, the he sounds so fucking ignorant when he says this line that uh, maybe the Freebirds' role model is Harvey Firestone. <laughs> The tire mode. The tire gay actor activist that sells tires. Like Harvey Firestone and then he goes, Torch Song trilogy or something. <laughs> <laughs> like like Jim Ross came across this on HBO at like one in the morning and went, uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> call no. me by your name. Starting you to call me by once you have a little bit of this peach. <laughs> Oh no! Don't you, do that. You, you feel like Jim was in the hotel the night before, just looking for looking for someone on TV, you know, to you know, 
have a good night. Jan wasn't there. And, <laughs> and he comes across oh. towards someone. <laughs> he's like, hey, uh-uh, wait. I don't want to. Or I'm he takes to. the phone off the hook <laughs> <laughs> and, and leaves it there. Just, I'm right, sorry, Jan. I'll try, I'll shit. Shit. Looks <laughs> <laughs> at Bob. Bob, it moved. It moved, it moved Bob. Bob. <laughs> oh, God. It's just... Just and it's just a, we've pointed this out before. I can't think of a specific um, example from the WWF days, but when Jim Ross says something like that, there's a certain level of disdain in his voice, and a Torch Song trilogy or something. And just oh jeez, um, Scott Steiner, fuck, I love him. I just do. Like, and you're right. There is a huge difference between Scott Steiner and the Steiner Brothers versus Scott Steiner, Big Papa Pump. And it's and I'm not just talking about like Mike skills or physique. It's wrestling. The wrestling mm -hmm. style is different. And because I can never imagine Big Papa Pump doing the Frankensteiner. But this can't be stated enough. This was a big deal back in the day. It was an attraction to see the the Frankensteiner. Yeah, yeah. Like and and I think it's I, now that I look back on it and I see how everyone does it now. I think it's because it just never looks safe. The way <laughs> That's that the Scott, spot. Scott Steiner kind of lands on his head every single time. Like I remember, like there's a video on YouTube. You can look it up. He actually flips the guy perfectly. Except that he actually lands on his head. The guy does, like in between Steiner's legs, and Steiner still does. does <laughs> yeah, he still does that. I, I, I still mark out for it. I, I, the match is very mediocre, though, as a whole. I, but I, this is the most notes I took because I mean there was so much going on, um, and it's great to see the Steiner brothers. Like this is a couple of years before their WWF run, but the, even when I wasn't really watching WCW, the Steiner brothers when I was a kid, was like my favorite tag team from WCW. Ross thinks they're going to be the best ever. There is an argument, I think, that maybe you could make for that. I yeah. think the Steiner brothers are one of the most underrated tag teams when people talk about the great tag teams. Right. And, uh, and it, it's even more um, exemplified with the great singles career that Scott Steiner had. I mean, you know, yeah, I think I call it a great. You I, know I mean, I, it's, I it's, would call it great. Yeah, uh, the, the yeah. matches aren't very good, but what he did for his character, and the, well, it, let's face it, it's better than Rick's. Oh, so, which I always, you know, people forget that Rick Steiner had a singles title run, and it's it's forgotten for a reason. Rick has a singles good. run coming up. That's main TV? event. Oh, he is, that. he's main event here for a little bit. I can't remember how long it lasts, but I know it's within the next year of the, our timeline here. It's just it's so yeah. weird. <laughs> Against Hill Luger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, that's really strange that they would go with him and not Scott. Scott's hurt, I think. Oh, okay. It, it, there's a real disconnect, I think, with Scott Steiner, how good, he, uh, good quotations he was on the mic. He was so entertaining. Rick Steiner, every time he got on the mic, it was just like typical... 80s kind of nonsense and just you know like Michael Hayes is Michael Hayes is so much better than the promo that he gives uh, with Gordon Soley I'd give this a 5 nice how about you Jason and people love the Steiners uh, I mean like they're just so into these guys and rightfully so because um, the Steiners were uh, they were freaking amazing what's cool is that the, the Freebirds aren't helping Scott pick them up at all for these slams like you can see it like i don't know if they're trying to sandbag him or what but he just scoops down and picks up uh fucking michael at one point and it just looks rough when he drops him uh it looks like it really hurts 
you know, I had a big thing about the classy fans in Baltimore, but I think, Charlie, you, you hit that on the head. Um, this is 1990, and Jim Ross is already calling out wrestlers with their degrees. No, oh, there's more later. I can't wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's some good stuff, because I believe he says uh, that Scott Steiner has a degree in education. That's just how he leaves it. Which sounds like phys ed. You know what I mean? It's I hope like, he said it like that. <laughs> he has a degree in education, folks. Uh, but, man, the uh, what's cool is there's some point that... Uh, who is it? I think Michael Hayes is getting ready to go put a DDT onto Rick Steiner. And he just pushes him away. Like, it's, I think that's the first time I've ever seen anyone block a DDT by just doing the obvious and pushing the guy away from them. This, J- J- Jason, I wonder if this bothers Isn't it funny how the, the Freebirds just kind of ripped off Jake Roberts completely in terms of move and the setup? Like I forgot about that. You're right. It, and it, the crowd just doesn't care. They'll, they, they buy right into it. But doesn't that bother you? Because I know you're a big Jake Roberts fan. Like, isn't that kind of... And maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm missing something with it, but I just kind of think it's ridiculous how they completely just ripped it off. Totally. I mean, it's it's a DDT. There's, I don't think there's that many creative ways to do a setup that don't involve uh, a level of athleticism that they don't have. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm no. talking about the but, finger thing. I'm sorry, man. I'm talking about like when they spin like, the finger yeah, around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That. That's 100%. Yes. That's. You're just like, oh, I'm calling for it. But, you know, I know that that's Jake's thing. Do something different. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, go with your whole gimmick. Shake your ass. Do something. Just, yeah. That just gets people ready for it. But uh, the, at some point, the Freebirds do the heel thing, and they get the they're starting to really go to town on Rick. I do not believe, with any ounce of my being, that that poor little referee could hold Scott Steiner back. <laughs> no. <laughs> <His brother would. laughs> Right. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about Scott Steiner in 1999 and 2000. I mean, even I mean, especially this Scott Steiner. Um, I think he, one thing we were talking about Charlie about him wrestling like this is, I believe he broke his neck at one point, and that's when he stopped doing the Frankensteiner, and his move set really changed. But it went to almost a Brock Lesnar style that it is now. But I I don't remember when exactly he did that because I think it's during their time in the WWF. But uh. Not sure we'll have to get to that point. Let's see. Uh, oh yes, uh, or just Jim Ross harping on the the guys that wear makeup are gross and homosexual and bad. But tonight Sting is going to take on Ric Flair, you know, because also wearing makeup. Make up your mind. Um, I still don't know. At some point, like Rick is getting ready to do a belly to belly suplex to Jimmy Garvin, and somehow Jimmy Garvin just reverses it in midair. What did he it, reverse it, just, it into? Uh, uh, his belly just, to belly. Oh, yeah, well, he does. He never lands. He just falls, flipped over. It's like it's weird. It, it, I don't understand. Like Rick's getting ready to slam him, and then suddenly they fall the opposite way. Um, it, it's crazy. It's like that gif you see of Sting taking a bump for somebody, where he's bouncing off the mat, but he's literally in the air for like two seconds. He almost looks like he stops falling, and then comes down. It's the same thing. Um, it's just you know, the Fabulous Sweetbirds were a great tag team in the '80s. As far as you know, there's there's probably no at that point, no people better than getting heat. Um, but I don't see that Freebirds and this Freebirds. You know, they literally look like they could be like prototypes for the American males. With just the, the, the suspenders and, and this shit. And it's just, it, it just doesn't, doesn't fit at all. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know. I was really looking forward to this. And then this was really, really disappointing. Um, but 
I, I give it a three. Going back to that. Oof. Meltzer has this a three and a quarter on his scale, which is pretty impressive. I just mentioned that because it's one of the two, obviously with the other one we mentioned, it's one of the other matches he has that highly rated from this show, which is strange. Um, I, there's one quote that is just, when you just take it in a vacuum, take into account everything else that happens later on. Jim Ross saying that Scott is the more orthodox of the two is just funny. Just funny to He's hear. a thinking man's wrestler. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it, the dream match for me would, really would have been this era Steiner against Lesnar to see like the athleticism because clearly like the big Papa Pump guy is in there like that would come out anyway so I'd rather if you have to give me the choice between the eras give me this one so that I can at least see like the amateur wrestling part that he would kind of forsake later when you know if Jason you're talking about his injuries and stuff like that I would love to have seen that because it is if, if you can encapsulate what Andre the Giant was meant to a wrestling card in one move that's what the Frankensteiner is oh yeah you would pay mm-hmm. money just to see because I hope he does it I remember I had no idea I had when I was learning about WCW and somebody told me, like, oh, yeah, he does this move called a Frankenstein. I'm like, well, what's that? And he demonstrated with figures. And I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's how we always did it. It's like, this and, is what it looks like. And yeah. I was like, what? Because there's no YouTube. I can't go see it. So I had to just wait till I saw it on television or something. And, and it's the most insane thing I've ever seen. And it's such a cool name for a move yeah. with his last name. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's one of the coolest names for a move ever. And <laughs> if you've seen that YouTube video where someone's... Is that is talking to him about the Frankensteiner, but they call it the Hurricane Rana. Oh, and Steiner gets pissed. He goes, "It's not a Hurricane Rana. It's a Frankensteiner." <laughs> he said, "He said what they do is a Hurricane Rana. I did the Frankensteiner. That's the name of the move." I was like, "Wow!" Uh, in the, and I don't. Obviously, everybody's got their degrees of heat with the company, but surely the Steiners have to be going to the Hall of Fame soon. I we, <laughs> surely. I think an argument. I can't believe I'm about to say this. I think an argument could be made that Steiner could go, Scott could go in twice for a oh, singles career and a tag team. I'm not right, kidding. All right. I know it sounds insane. It's just like, a little when, bit. When I think of late '90s but, WCW, like who was the top heel? I'm, Scott Steiner was like everyone. Like how mimicked he was. Like in, in schools. His I mean, WWE friends so. Oh, bad. it's terrible. Oh, it's god awful. Two matches with Triple H are awful. They're really bad, but. When Steiner came on TV, you paid attention. Yeah. Every right, single right. time. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Mm-hmm. But yeah, nevertheless, this match... But the Steiner brothers as a team should absolutely oh, yeah. go in. I hope they do soon. Um, but nevertheless, I can only give this match a five. I just don't think it's... It's it's not great. It's paint-by-numbers um, kind, of, uh, kind of tag match. Far cry from that U.S. tag title match we just saw. And, believe it or not, it was 13.45. It was shorter. Anyway, moving on. We move into the, the six-man tag challenge here we got going on. We have Sid, Barry Wyndham, and Arn Anderson representing the Four Horsemen versus the Junkyard Dog, Paul Orndorff, wow. and Ellie Gante. This is random on the what? video game. Random, Five. random, random. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh... Is it me? Is it you? Could be me. Oh, no, wait. You had the Freebirds. You had the, I believe the it's crowd Jason. from hell. Uh, Jason, this one's you. I'm sorry, buddy. Oh, okay. Um... So we get three quarters of the four horsemen versus three quarters of the dudes with attitude. Back in the day where you could just go put attitude and it not be attitude error. Dudes with attitude. Fucking, I love these guys. I know it seems super random, but, you know, Sting always having trouble with the horsemen. And it's like the junkyard dog are coming to help him. The Steiners helped him. Luger helped him, sort of. And then, like, then this ginormous Elegante guy. 
just shows up. And then there's Paul Warner, you know, whatever. But uh, it's so fucking cool in a way to go back and look at this guy because he is huge. I, in my head, I remembered him being a lot smaller as far as frame. And then seeing him here, I'm like, oh, he really, he, he is a lot bigger than that. Um, Chapata has a little issue being able to say stuff. He calls him the largest man never, ever since stepped foot in the ring. And I went to check on that because I pulled up the closed captioning. Closed captioning had my back on it. Um, but what's cool is they're talking. They're really, really building up Elegante and talking about the Argentinian soccer team. And then Don, Bob, excuse me, Bob Cottle. I wrote Don for some reason. Uh, Bob Cottle starts telling a story about seeing some big Argentinian boat in the pier. In the, or in the harbor, <laughs> Jim Ross completely no sells it and goes right back to the freaking story about the soccer team. I know your pain, Bob Cottle. I know your pain. Um, it's just, it, it's. I, I don't. I mean, like, it's the four horsemen, and this is one of the better versions of it too. I mean, it, you know, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Sid fucking Vicious. I mean, these guys should be killer, and it's. And you're right in the sense that it, there should be, like, a, uh, I guess, a better cohesive team to go against them. But I don't know. It's um, But at some point when we get to the actual match, the horsemen come after Mr. Wonderful one at a time, like Henchman in a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, and he just dispatches them each with flips. Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, hip-toss Sid Vicious. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I know. Sid Vicious yet. Oh, we get even more stuff. Sid Vicious runs from Elegante. Sid, Psycho Sid sure as hell wouldn't have run from Elegante. But it's just weird. It's like, I want to see these two in a stare down. I don't want to see, you know, I mean, like, you could still have Elegante looking imposing and huge because, you, you know, Sid's been around a little bit. You know how big he is. And those two face-to-face would really highlight this and then have Elegante overpower him. But Sid running away from him like a like a full on cheesy heel, I don't know. Um, but this match ends with the over the top rope DQ, and I immediately remembered why it was such a bad idea because matches would just come to a screeching halt. It's like just oh he's over like they toss Mr. Wonderful over the top rope onto the ramp. It's not like he even hit the floor DQ DQ, and it's so boring. Junkyard Dog was just in there. Um, I mean, I said earlier it was cool to see him, but then it's like, oh, you do like your headbutt spot, and that's it. And it's earlier, it's like the Iron Cheek is a, a, you know, it's just a pale comparison of what he was six years ago, uh, as opposed to what he's doing now. Um, but I mean, this, for what it is, you know, with a DQ really hurt the match. Me, so I give it a four and a half. Um, what do you think, man? Like this is this is. Uh... Okay, all right. I'm just going to stop. So you have <clears throat> Sid, Barry Windham, and Arn Anderson. Those are three pretty badass guys. Like, to be not even... No, and none of those guys were even the top horsemen. That's a powerful stable. And it's... It, it, to go with what Jason said, it's, it's ridiculous enough to think that Sid would run away. Because Elegante... It's so weird comparing John Gonzalez to this. Because this... Seems like a friendly giant. I just don't buy that this guy could hurt anybody. Like, he just seems nice. He only hurt his knees, apparently, because that's why he wasn't playing basketball. Right. He, he, <laughs> he just doesn't seem like... I mean, I know he's big, but I feel like my mother could take him. Like, he seems... Bang. Yeah, 
He seems the match to... we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Three days of that Once in a lifetime. Patty Bagwell. Patty Bagwell. <laughs> <laughs> so, for all of them to run out of the ring is even more ridiculous than just Sid. I'm like, this is Sid. He does. I've never seen. I, I'm sure he's done it, but I'm sure it was to somebody that I could actually buy. You know, Eligante. I mean, they were really talking him up. And another thing, this is another one of those cases where no one has a fucking clue how tall he is. <laughs> I think I heard. Barry Windham said he was seven eleven. Seven eleven. He said seven eleven. Bob. <laughs> I keep thinking of Joker's henchman from Batman. Gun. Give me the gun, Bob. Yeah, Bob said he was seven foot seven, <laughs> and it's like. I think he's seven. I thought he was seven seven. Is he not? Well, in the WWF, he was eight feet. <laughs> if you don't remember that, he's eight I feet. That, he's eight yeah. feet tall. I'm like, yeah, that guy's dead. <laughs> no one's eight feet tall. Uh, seven foot seven is what he said. I think Jim Ross said seven nine or seven eight. I was like, Jesus Christ! It's like after a while, do we just stop measuring? Like, th does the tape measure that they all have not go all that way? And they just go, ah, give or take five inches. You know, who cares? Um, I did like the way that Gary Michael Capetta said when he introduced uh, Eligante, he said, the one and only Eligante. Don't they call him the world's most dangerous announcer? Don't they have a nickname for they Capetta? They did. I, I don't buy that at all. Uh, but the one and only Eligante. So, okay. Um, I don't see how... I could confuse him for anybody else, and I don't see what makes him, other than his height, special. I mean, just, just from this appearance, I just don't see it. Uh, my favorite part of the match is right after Eligante scares them all out of the ring, Arn Anderson does a huddle. Oh. <laughs> Arn Anderson needs to regroup and re-strategize with the other horsemen. And this is his, his advice for what they should do for the, for the remainder of the match. Alright man, he's huge. We got to chop him down to size. That's it. <laughs> That's the plan. Just, Sid, Sid just goes, but how? Yeah. <laughs> well, Anderson did not have an answer for him. He just, would be great if you got a softball bat out and just started beating the hell just, out of him. <laughs> just beats him. <laughs> Wiffle bat would be better. But yeah, just it's like he says that and break. They go away. It's all right. Um, this. Eligante, Junkyard Dog, Paul Orndorff, it's not just like hitting random in the video game and getting these characters. This screams to me of, we don't know what the hell to do with these guys. It's just like, especially Paul Orndorff, he's the one that that, that is just completely, like he's a natural heel to me. So to see him in a face situation, and especially in it with this idea that Paul Orndorff and Junkyard Dog like, like go to like family barbecues together, that they would be friends. Uh, I, I just don't buy it. I, it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, I, I can see Eligante and Junkyard kind of being with Sting's crew, but Paul Orndorff, it's just, well, it's, oh, Orndorff's a veteran, you know, he just, he'll, he'll do what we say. I give this a three. Yeah. Okay. Uh, by the way, if you type if you type in Eligante height into Google, one of the immediate answers that pops up, it just shows, like, in the search results, even before you hit enter, eight feet. Yeah. But if, yeah. You, go, if you go to Wikipedia, it's like 7.6 feet. Oh, come on! So, nobody, Jorge Gonzalez, is that's his real name, by the way, who passed away in 2010. Did you know that? Yes, he did. Diabetes. Mm -hmm. Get him checked. <laughs> oh, this has been a more you know. announcement from the New Blood Rising podcast. <laughs> Diabetes checked. But, uh, yeah, so apparently, like, we still 
don't have confirmation really on the height of Jorge Gonzalez, a.k.a. Elegante. Uh, I think Orndorff works his ass off. I'll give him his credit because he's the only one who can work. Like, still, I'm no offense to JYD, but he looks so badly overweight and out oh, of shape. JYD? Yes. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even look like he really cares to be there either. He just kind of looks like he's like, all right, man, I'll just come out and do my thing and we'll get out of here. Orndorff is really working it. And the thing I was trying to look at is this is after he's had that arm that's all messed up. Mm -hmm. and it's, I, I was trying to see, like, could you really, is it visible which one had had the atrophy going on? I think it was the, I want to say it was the left. But it wasn't like, but even while you're saying that, it's not like it jumps out at you. And he still does an amazing job. I give the horseman a lot of credit. Because clearly, like, they were given a task. Like, they needed to get Elegante over. The guy really can't work, and he doesn't. He comes in all of two seconds with a hot tag and does, I mean, the most basic. Th if this were revenge, this would be, like, the tap A moves that he does at best. <laughs> and he, uh, they managed to get him over in a yep. way with that crowd. I give them a tremendous amount of credit, even though it makes no freaking sense whatsoever that Arn Anderson would be this freaked out over him. But... They do their job. Nevertheless, the match is pretty lame. I still give it only a four at best. Uh, all right. So now Gordon Soley is with the United States champion Lex Luger, who ignores the camera because he doesn't realize it's a tape promo. That's <laughs> <sighs> a great call. Yeah. He goes, the time for talk is over. That's how he started his minute promo. <laughs> Perfect. Walk away. <laughs> Larry. Larry. <laughs> we got to fill time. I think that's his name. But anyway, mm -hmm. mean Mark Awesome. Mark Callis is up next. We're going right to the ring. It's Mark Callis taking on the United States heavyweight champion, Lex Luger. So what would you guys think of uh, Mean Mark's entrance theme? It's pretty good. I liked it. You did, huh? I mean, Luger's was bad at. I mean, the entrance teams are what they are at this point. I mean, like they are—they're all pretty much cut from the same. Like, you know, can you just go in the studio for a minute and just kind of riff? It's like just, a... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of thought going in here. But um, uh, it's, it's back to you though for this, right? I think. Yeah, I, I think I, you get this. I can get through this pretty quick. So, I'm not going to take your note. It's but... okay. But um, we already said it earlier. Oh, we did. We said it on air. Preschool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he still, does preschool. Still makes me and it's it's interesting because when Undertaker would first do old school in the WWF, like the crowd actually would come unglued, and it was just <laughs> incredible to see a guy at that size. Even though my dad pointed out, what a ridiculous move. Yeah, I, I, he Dude, he, he ruined that move for me. He's like, just yank him down. You know, just come on. So I would always work out in my head. Well, I bet if he were to pull, like his arm would come out of its socket or something because it's all twisted. Yeah. So, but in WCW when he does it, nothing, not not no applause, like n no no reaction one way or the other. It's very strange because I didn't know he ever did the move in WCW. Yeah. So, yeah, but still, it's cool to see it. Um. I'll just skip right to the end. Uh, it's impressive. I mean, I know we've seen him do it to the to a big show, but it's still impressive to see Undertaker, the Undertaker, go up for the torture rack. Now, what ruins this for me is uh, Paul Heyman finds a way to get into the ring. Paul Danger, Polly Dangerously. I'll try to stick to their their names at the time. And he, while well, the ref is, I think he's down, and Heyman 
takes his cell phone, and usually, I mean, what I always remember is he would hit him in the head with a cell phone, it'd be awesome. He kind of takes it and just jabs Luger, like, in the rib, and this is, this is the Lex Luger that I hate, <laughs> where it's just like a, a quick shot to the back, or like, right around the, the rib area, and it's just annihilation for Lex Luger. His selling. His selling, like, Nargh! and he falls to the ground, and he just lays there, I'm like, what the hell did he hit? You know, it just, it wasn't anything. And and Mean Mark almost gets a three count. It's ridiculous. Um, I, don't, I don't know how the match ends. I didn't care. Uh, he gets him with a clothesline for the finish. Luger clotheslines him to win. The streak <laughs> is over. Everybody stands and claps. <laughs> just love, one lone fan. You suck! <laughs> uh, it's... It's it's not good. Like I was I was kind of excited. I'm like oh, it's the Undertaker versus Lex Luger. And it's like no, this is like a Scott Steiner situation where if you take preschool out of it, uh, this is this isn't even American Badass uh, Undertaker. This is a very different way of for him wrestling. It looks like he's still working things out. Even his best pure striker strikes don't have that that look. Like I always think of Mankind in the corner. You know, um, I'd give this a four. How about you, Jay? Like I said earlier, Luger's music is really good. Like, that's a, a really, really good, just on a super bassy riff. Really fits. It's super cocky. Um, when he's coming down to the ring, he blows his nose into his left hand and then immediately starts high-fiving fans with the same hand. Oh, it's disgusting. No. Yeah. Um, during the match, we get another JR's degree call-out. This Here time, go. he goes full info and gives us the gpa luger has a 3.78 gpa which really has a degree good. in mark like that's not great i mean in all honesty Better than average i mean 378 i mean th that's really not that hard to get i'm just saying i'm just putting that out there uh, all right yeah. all right it's a point higher than me so i don't care yeah. Dude, I mean, how hard were you trying? I wasn't. Exactly. <laughs> i think larry was putting forth the effort <laughs> come on larry I had a nightlife to get to. Yeah. Oh, and he was also a football player. I'm How Paris and Tibble. <laughs> Who are you, Larry? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. Uh, we got a. Uh, you used to call him Talkie Taker, so I guess we'll call this one Mouthy Mark. When he gets put into the wrist, he's all no, 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 no. It's so really weird. Cool. Because he does it twice. It's just like it's the precursor to the pop 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 that we uh that we come to know and love. And it's we get a his degree. He's got a degree in sports management. Oh, awesome. so you can imagine Undertaker as an agent. Jerry, Jerry Maguire. Maguire. Man. Come on. Come on. Think Bob Sugar down the hall? Well, I hate that cunt. <laughs> we got no, no, we show got you the money. <laughs> show you the money. I love black. People. I'm your motherfucker. <laughs> I love black people. That's the best. I mean, I love black people. Shit. Oh. Goes, knocks on Michelle McTaker's door. You, have, you complete me. Just, all right, all right. Who's coming with me? Huh? I know. I'm not gonna do what y'all think I'm gonna do. We're just, we're just flip out. Woo! He power bombs the fish. Yeah. <laughs> Last ride, Nemo. And bam. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh. Still kind yeah. of moved by your whole uh, "my word is stronger than oak" thing, man. Come on. <laughs> and we're gonna be doing this all day. Yeah. 
Undertaker is Jerry Maguire. Sorry, I can't get away from the Undertaker. It would, it would work. Oh man, but uh, you know, you get you get some, you get the big boot. We don't just get oh, we don't get preschool. We get the big you're boot. You're right. You're right. And I don't know what that thing is where he's laying, kind of on Luger's back. He's got him in a like laying chicken wing, but he's also got his finger like in Luger's tights, right at his ass crack. I don't know what the hell that is. I'm get, glad that did... <laughs> get Garvin on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> You're court low. Just, I don't know what he's trying to do. Like, I was like, Ugh. Um, maybe he's like, man, I, maybe he figured he was going to go to the WWF. And with everybody having jobs, he thought he would be the giant proctologist or something. Just trying to get it in there. Um, but then Luger wins with a clothesline, which I don't remember if they were really hyping up the metal plate in his arm at this point or not. Because it used to be the forearm that would be like his big finish other than the torture rack. Um, and then he gets, and I'm glad we didn't get to see the tap out. But And I oh. think, Charlie, when you're talking about Luger sells the uh, the phone punch and looks devastating, I think we're supposed to assume that that's a kidney shot. So, you know. It lays him flat out on his back, though. I mean, he's not even, like, holding his, his kidney. It's just, oh, come on, Larry. A ki- a ki- he had a degree in marketing, not medicine. He doesn't know where the kidney is. But, but you know, this is the four for me as well. Is this your homework, Larry? Did, did you? What did you? What did you say, Jason? What did you rate it? I said a four. A four. Okay. Um, you loved it, didn't you? Uh, you loved it. No, no. Do you want to jump? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this. In all seriousness, one thing that's really, really cool: Lex Luger was incredible at his firing up. Like, whenever it's time for him to make a comeback, it gets the crowd right back into the match. As boring as hell as this match is, the moment he starts getting fired up, like... Oh, the his final three minutes of most Luger matches are fine. I mean, that's... <laughs> um, this match is just full of way too much Jim Ross talking about these guys in real life. It's it's nauseating. It takes away the mystique. Yeah, I mean, he just you keeps talking I mean? about, man, these guys are a couple of uh, studs. Like, I don't know, he didn't say that, but you know what I mean? Like, he really is all into, like, what they do outside of wrestling, which, it doesn't make me respect them anymore. Like, I don't care. It makes me, uh, it did make me curious about The Undertaker. Like, sports. <laughs> like, like, what was it? Sports management? Yeah. It was just, no, I, think I'll, I think I'll go into wrestling instead. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, because it's always like a degree in something that has nothing even remotely to do with uh, pro wrestling, usually. Like Like, economics? Like, uh, yeah, no, 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 that's the one I was trying to think of. No, absolutely. Um, The, uh, you guys pretty much hit all the the notes really on this. I mean, I I don't think I can go higher than a four either. I had a five originally written down, but like, just really letting it sit for a bit and thinking about it, like, eh, I just... I can't put it at a five because it's not that good. It goes 12 minutes, 10 seconds. I love the dude who yells, you suck, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the same guy. Which, by the way, did you guys notice the Freddie Mercury-looking dude who's all up in the Freebird's face? Like He's standing up opposite hard cam. Standing up in the front row, he is not having any. Yeah, yeah, I know you're he's got. About. He looks like he's got the white pants, white tank top. He's having a good time. Just doesn't like them. But uh, yeah, I want to say I want to think that the you suck mark is the guy that returns. You suck. <laughs> he's he's there at WrestleMania. <laughs> or I swear I've got to find the clip on YouTube. The guy who yells out, "Retire!" <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> But it's it's insane watching under or Mark work, and you're just thinking, 
he's going to be the Undertaker. Like, he is going to be, and you said it, and I think, I don't think it's hyperbole, might be the best ever. Right. In and all his capacity. All, everything, every bit of... The longevity. Yeah. I mean, just overall mystique, like, you care about still the character versus the man. Like, you still believe in the character. Like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's just so incredible. Like, he's close, but he's still so far away mm-hmm. from where he'll be. And to see what he does from here and then in November... He does some great character work. It's a complete 180. Yeah. It's, and you'll be has at he WrestleMania. Do I? Has he already filmed Suburban Commando at I was this just, point? I was just thinking that. So Suburban Commando came out in 91. Yeah. I don't think I don't think so. I don't think he'd filmed it yet. I don't think he had. Uh, Suburban Commando. I, I don't know if that... So you think he would have debuted as The Undertaker and then gone to film? That's what I always thought. You think so? Because Hogan's in the movie. That's a, and, Hogan, and, and who plays the other on, bounty wait hunter? Wait a second, hold on. Hogan disappears, because that was the whole reason why the Earthquake thing. He gets put out by Earthquake, I think, to go do Suburban Commando, right? Isn't that when Earthquake like just shatters every ring? And then they fight at SummerSlam? Yeah. You I, might be right. I don't know. I feel like Hogan disappears after Mania. Well, who's the other bounty hunter in Suburban Commando? The, the, oh, is it Terry Taylor? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> you just do this to piss me off. It, it's like, I think it's a lower rung. At, you know what? Fuck it. I don't think it's They anybody. were filming Suburban Commando. Hogan liked what he saw with Taker. And, and Suburban Commando was the job interview for the WWF. You're a dead man, Ramsey. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Have you ever read uh, Roger Ebert's review of Suburban Commando? Actually, that have I, you? I have not. Uh, what is it? I have a screen cap of just the final paragraph because it's fantastic. I'd love to hear um, it. Somebody was asking the other day, do I ever get tired of going to the movies? Nah, I said, I love movie. And some days it's not really a job, but more of a lucky break. But I wasn't feeling lucky the day I saw <laughs> Suburban Commando. And do you know what? By golly, by the time it was done, I was kind of feeling tired of going to the movies. Oh my, like, I make no bones about it. That is one of my favorite movies. It really is. I, I've, I've watched that movie all the time. I, it's the one wrestler movie that I'm like, that's my go-to. Easily. You know, I, I think that movie would have been a lot more respected had it had been what it, what it was originally supposed to be. You know, which was Schwarzenegger and DeVito. Yeah. It's a dynamite premise. Like it's a really good premise yeah. for a movie, and uh, no, and I think Hogan's great in it. He's fine. I think he he's is so great. good in that yeah. movie. Yeah. I, he he's funny as hell in that thing. And Christopher Lloyd, yeah, I, I've never really understood why that movie got such a bad reception. Like as opposed to something like Mr. Nanny or No Holds Barred. Like I mean, No Holds Barred's a guilty pleasure. But those are bad movies. Or Three Ninjas Kick Back from Make Out Mountain or whatever it's called. The one with Ernest. <laughs> yeah. Ernest Johnny <laughs> <Lonnie> Anderson. <laughs> right. But no, like I can I can definitely admit like Santa with Muscles. Hogan made constantly bad movies. Awful. Rocky Three, you know, that's an exception. But Suburban Commando, I'm like, no, that that's in a whole nother level. Like it's a it's a different it's a different ball game. I wish he'd pop up in Fast and Furious so he and The Rock can do the stare thing from WrestleMania where they just kind of look off in opposite directions. <laughs> Nobody would care. The, wow, one quick... I wrote this down and now I see it. This match was the battle of the wrist lock. Like, I've never seen the... I never thought The Undertaker and Lex Luger would grapple over who has the better wrist lock. Point has been proven now in this match. 
Ugh. All right, so now Gordon Soley and the Stinger. This was an earlier interview. It's pretty good Sting. It's Sting just saying no excuses. Like, because that's the thing I think we kind of have to take into account with this match. This is a part of a huge storyline. It's not just like a one-off. And I do like that. It's just like, all right, he's going to be getting this high, this quasi lumberjack match tonight. No excuses, whatever. This is our. I, I, I don't even. Know, would you consider this the sub main? No, this is more like a. Because this feels like a a piss break. No, it's a match that they put in between the two matches that that are really important. Because this was back when the title matches were always at the end. Yeah, yeah. So it's the world. And I okay. World tag team titles on the line. The Rock and Roll Express are taking on the champions. Doom. Plus, how do you how do you spread out three tag matches? That's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. All right. That's true. Jason, you're an R and R fan, man. So what do you think of this? Boy, you guys aren't gonna like it from what it just sounds like you just said. But um, get the Rock and Roll Express versus Doom. Big Rock and Roll Express fan. Big Doom fan. You got Doom. Tremendously big jack motherfuckers. And their entrance music sounds like it's like a, a filler track on a Paula Abdul album. I don't necessarily like that. Um, Teddy Long is so good in this type of managerial role. You're not He's not having to talk to the crowd a whole lot. He just has to be out there pantomime, strutting it up. At some point, he does a, he does a great little strut uh, when like Ron Simmons nails Ricky Morton with something and then just he just starts strutting and that crowd is just like instantly booing. Um, it's just, I, I here's where part of the reason why I really, really like the rock and roll express as a kid. I mean, there was just these two guys, they just come out, they, they fly around. They all, you know, they generally seem to pull it out and win. And then when they lost, it was incredibly heartbreaking. And as you get older and you start watching stuff, it's Ricky Morton's like a fantastic seller. Like he is fantastic. He just pulls up sympathy and emotion right out of me. During this match is really where I, I fully kick back in to enjoying it and, and having a great time. Because watching Ricky Morton get his ass kicked by Doom is so awesome. Because it just makes these two guys look like monsters. Just fucking monsters. The way he goes limp. And then Robert Gibson's just there to readily come back in. And you stand these these four guys up side by side by side by side. They, they don't look like Rock and Roll Express are going to put up any kind of fight to do. But Jim Ross does a great job of making it. He's like, oh, well, Robert Gibson's 6'2". I don't remember Robert Gibson being 6'2". Um, he, he's got the elegante like disease. Where he, he's 7'9". Yeah. <laughs> he's just big. He's a big guy. But, uh, and also, this is the first, like this is back when refs had personalities, and Jim Ross makes me feel for Pee Wee. Pee Wee's working hard, but he can't be everywhere at once. There's so much shit going on on this match. I'm like, oh, this is great. Um, I don't have a lot of notes because I stopped. I mean, I just watched the match. Um, it put me right back in, loving these two, um, going at it. I like that Doom still won because there's a good match that's building up down the line. Um, you guys are going to hate this. I gave this an eight. <laughs> money, 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 money. <laughs> Uh, oddly enough, this was the first time I wrote in my notes, match is too long. It's just too long. I mean, it's a pretty long match. You feel like you're, you're like, uh, like Huey Lewis in, uh, in Back to the Future. Just too darn loud. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really cool to see the Rock and Roll Express. Um, Doom, before I started watching this, I didn't know who that was. I was like, Doom, well this better be the most 
badass tag team I've ever seen. I mean, this is before the video game, of course, but like, that's a pretty bold statement, I think, to have a name just that simple and that effective. And to see it be uh, Ron Simmons and was it Butch Reed? Uh, yeah. I was like, all right, you know, let's let's see where this goes. And you know, periodically tuning into WCW uh, in my childhood, I loved Ron Simmons. I thought he was great. Uh, this isn't it, unfortunately. And 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 Butch Reed, I don't know where he got the name The Natural from. I always remember that. Uh, it's this it's just kind of clunky in the ring. But the Rock and Roll Express, I was always a fan of. Uh, and I hate to point this out, but I was also checking to see. <laughs> Checking to see what the four black people in the audience were doing during this match, you know, because it was like, th I mean, this is like, you got Teddy Long as a manager, you know, I, I remember that with like him not wanting to be a ref anymore, and he was a, pr a pretty good manager and want wanted to see how how that was gonna go. Uh, nothing from that. It just seems like Baltimore just hates gay people. Like that's the only thing, um, and it's okay. It's just perfect. It's actually quite acceptable, <laughs> you know, in 1990. Uh, I can't remember what the spot was, but I did write Ricky Morton should be dead. I can't remember what it was, and I don't think it was necessarily a... Oh, right, 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 I remember now. Ricky Morton is on the defense trying to make a hot tag for what feels like an eternity. I mean, and, and this is where the unbelievability of wrestling kind of comes in. You got two guys, Doom, constantly tagging in and out, which I wasn't expecting from them, so that was kind of cool to see. Uh, quick tags. If you had, in real life, two guys constantly tagging each other into a match and then beating the shit out of you, all right, I'm done, you go beat him up. Just beating the shit out of him. And he's still kicking out of stuff. He's still struggling. He's still holding on. I just couldn't buy it. Yeah. I, I thought, I thought, and I think that's where the match is too long note comes from. It's like, you know, if, if you've got two guys constantly beating on you and you're not giving a, up any offense whatsoever, uh, you should really be dead. I gave this match a four. Wow. Um, I really like this match. I gave it a three. <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. It's 15 minutes, 40 seconds. It is, it does. Wow, really? Yeah, I was really excited for this match. I was, I was too. I was really I was. pumped because I liked Doom and I've liked the Rock and Roll Express, especially with the Rock and Roll Express going to the Hall of Fame. They really showed a lot of their cool highlights. One of the things I always loved about was that double dropkick spot. Yeah. I don't think they do that in this at all. Do they do that, Jason? If I missed it? I don't think that they did. That's that, that one of the things is Doom didn't give them a chance. Yeah, it was... I, what I didn't... I, I never I, I never felt like they got... They, they wrestled their kind of match here. They, I don't know. I understand that, like... I understand that, like, you know, styles have to kind of mesh up and stuff like that, but Doom's offense was essentially, to me, front headlock, front face lock, club to the back a lot. It just... Very uninspired. Never, just, it, yeah, it just it never felt like it got going, unfortunately. And I hate to say that because I really expected, I, I really wanted a lot more out of this thing. But and that's what's crazy is Ron Simmons, also like Rick Steiner, is about to have a singles run in the next year um, against Heel Luger, where he is the prime babyface. Ron Simmons was a great face. Yeah, he really was. Just not tremendous in this match with this team. Now it's going to be. I, I'll be curious to go back to it. I know in two shows they're going to be defending the belts against the Horsemen. And I think it's Flair and I think it's Flair and Arn. I think is who they're defending. Flair and Wyndham. 
had a bit where they were going after the tag titles because there's one of the clashes where it's Flair and Wyndham against the Midnight Express. Yeah. It, it's like a heel heel team. It was I amazing. think that match at Havoc is a little better, but I'm we'll see. But um, yeah, I it was just that, and I know also here this is probably close to the end for the R for rock and roll because uh, I'm pretty sure Morton is about to come to the York Foundation soon and becomes Richard Morton. And he's like, you know, of course that's not a you can't be a face if you go from Ricky to Richard. So. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure like their time is just about done as a team. So I don't know. What was that comment that Jr. made about uh, Robert Gibson? Um, something about sign language. Do you remember this? Uh, yes. It was a. It was actually one of the few yes. interesting things he said about a wrestler. He's. Uh, it was well timed too, because after he says it, sure, uh, within like seconds. He's in there signing. Right. He's talking about how he comes from a hearing and speech impaired yes. family. That's yeah. it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that you can see him sign sometimes in a in a match. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So yeah, I just just never a match just didn't click. Is where I'll leave it. Now we go to another earlier interview with Gordon Soley and Ric Flair, who he, he talk about being a, at a ten from the start. It's great. Oh yeah. Nature Boy has come it's, to play. It's exactly what you think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be great if it was with Buddy Land Talents. <laughs> Gordon went to the wrong guy. Sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> He's a little bit drunk already. Right. Oh, yeah. He's had a few too many cocktails. <laughs> He's confused. So now that takes us, Chuck, to the main event. It is Sting taking on the World Heavyweight Champion, representing the Four Horsemen. Ric Flair. Hey, With, I got. We gotta pause it for a minute. Bathroom. I'm getting. No, I'm getting like my phone is blowing up from my mom in the house. I don't know what the hell's going on, so I'll be back in a second. Well, we're back yeah. on, so it's okay. Oh, let's, 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 let's uh, no worries. It's okay. Let's. But we're closing out on a high note. Yeah. Okay. Or at least we're, right. we've got that. We've got we're at the end a special moment. By the Person. way, I just got it. Jason, did, did you watch this with your grandfather? This match, I always and this, I'm being serious. I'm being completely serious. I was waiting for the don't. <laughs> no, um, not this one. No. Okay. Okay. All right. So he was dead by now. So we never right. got to see this. Yeah. <laughs> all right. No, I. It's a great story. I, a hundred percent, being serious about that. All right. Um. World title match, Charlie. What you think, man? Why is this a lumberjack match? Well, okay. Well, in all in all seriousness, the I mean the storyline. Well, the the four horsemen are pretty. They're dicks. They, they're 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 not very nice. They don't they don't play <laughs> they don't, fair. Damn it. Play well with others. Damn it. It's just. I get that, but wouldn't it have been so much cooler if it wasn't a lumberjack match, and maybe the ref gets knocked down or something. And the horsemen keep trying to stop Sting from winning, and he keeps fighting them off, and he finds a way to overcome the odds. Or the other dudes just run out and beat him up. They don't have to be standing around the yeah. ring. They just run out and take because you know we're tired of our guy getting screwed. Okay, because they, they make that's a, not a bad idea. They, I like that. They make a big. I think it would have been more triumphant because they make a big deal about Elegante being handcuffed to Ole Anderson, <laughs> and they have to go sit on I'm, stage. Could you guys imagine that conversation? Yeah, I was imagining the conversation. I don't think it went well. No. <laughs> I don't think they understood each other. <laughs> you know, I was, I was, and occasionally the camera will cut back to him, and Ole's like standing up, and Eligante's just sitting there, like, "Please don't go." He doesn't look like he's really gonna like do anything to stop him. He just, yeah, you know, just keeps telling him, you know, that's against the rules. He just looks too nice. 
but so we got Sting and Ric Flair, and I, I gotta say, from listening to the commentary, I think I probably would have liked this more if we'd seen the previous shows. Because this sounds like a long build-up where Sting got close several times and just couldn't get it. Real quick, do you, is, Jason, I'm trying to figure, because there is a match that they do which people have said. The Clash? Is, is it the Clash I match or they the go clash. to the draw? Yeah. Okay. There's a couple. Okay. That was the thing. Is is That's why I, I get what you guys are saying of not, you know, since why are they out there, it would be better at this because there had been so many matches where Sting almost got it. The Horsemen would come out, and Sting would fight them off, but they would take up so much time that it would put, you know, it would put in the crunch. It would ruin the time. So it wasn't just they're coming in and getting the DQ finish. They would come in, the ref, the ref would be down, or wouldn't see it, and Sting would fight them off. But it would just then it would be like there would be five minutes left, things like that, where it just happened over and over and over again. So I mean, it's it's a combination. I mean, I'm sure it would, it, not knowing what was happening beforehand, does make this seem a, le- a lot less impactful i guess is a good way to put it but i've seen a lot of sting rick flair matches and for the most part this is pretty much just like all the other ones which isn't a bad thing a sting versus rick flair match at, at, at the worst is going to be at least fun uh rick flair does you know the same stuff i like guess the bret old bret hart complaint you know no uh, here we go and, world, world champion <laughs> <laughs> he does the the, the turnbuckle spot where he flips upside down and up clothesline, you know, and everyone's like blown away by that when Sting does that. And it's like, oh, that's the counter to that move because Flair's going to run to the top rope. Well, we really hadn't seen that yet. So, you know, also, oh, oh, really? We hadn't seen it up to that point? Not really. I don't, I think this is like this. If I'm not saying this is the prototype for the rest of their careers together. This oh, match. yeah? I think so because, I mean, I. if they if they had repeated it, it only been a couple times at this point. So I don't think it was because. I know what you're talking about, because, like, the final Nitro, no, it's this match. It is, <laughs> which actually is quite fitting yeah, uh, for, yeah, for yeah. the final Nitro. It sure, doesn't sure. have to be the best thing ever. Um, Flair, even, you know, we always kind of make fun of how he was never in the most perfect-looking shape. He looks he looks pretty good here. Mm-hmm. He looks pretty good here. The one thing I'll say about disappointment in terms of this being a Sting-Flair match and what I expect is that Flair never got the figure four on, which is kind of... I don't know. I feel I feel two ways about it. One, I want to see it. I love seeing Sting in the figure four and him like just fighting out of it. But um, also that uh, it tells a really interesting story where Flair repeatedly tries to put him in the figure four and he just can't get him. He just can't get it, which leads you to believe, well, if he ever could get him in it, then that would be it. And that's why he keeps going for it. But he just can't do it. Um, I don't remember this back in WCW, but apparently this has always been a thing. I thought it was just in WWF. Uh, the Scorpion Deathlock is also just called the Scorpion. I don't remember that as a kid. Did you catch that? Where they're like, oh, he's going to, you know, if he locks in that Scorpion Deathlock, that'll be it. And then five minutes later, he's got the Scorpion. The Scorpion. Like, hmm. I, just, I didn't think too much on that. I, I did, because I, I remember how jarring it was cause I, in WWF be, uh, because I thought they didn't want to say the word death mm. uh, in, in the name of the move. That makes sense. Yeah. But uh, I, I love the finish, actually, with the the countering figure four into a small package. You know, you know, for Sting to win his first world title with a small package, I mean, maybe that's a little underwhelming, but it is a really cool spot. Um, 
I remember. I think Steamboat did that a couple of times with Flair, actually. But I don't think he got a three with it. I don't think he ever got a three with it. But yeah, I mean, as Ric Flair, though, you got to know that that move can be countered that way. Oh yeah, (laughs) you know, Um, the match is okay. It's not bad. It's 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 probably my second favorite of the night. I'd give it a six. Okay. Uh, Jason, take it away, man. I know you're excited for this, so go for it. Man, this is a great, great cookie cutter match. I, I had to write in my notes like this is the exact same match for the final nitro, and that's okay. Because um, it's Sting and like it's just I don't know. Um, it, this was my closing note, but I'll go ahead and say it. It's like Sting versus Flair is like mom's cooking. You're gonna have much better food. You're gonna have a lot better quality food, but it just feels right and it feels good. Um, like this being finally getting it because there were so many clashes pay-per-views that were or me as a big sting fan where he it didn't happen and it didn't happen it was finally you know um the the faces finally had the cards in their favor i mean yeah it's a little hokey but you know there's only four horsemen and ole anderson for some reason and of everybody that i would handcuff to elegante it wouldn't be ole anderson i'd be fucking handcuffed and sid you know like what's ole gonna do yeah. I, that's one thing I feel I've, I've never understood, but um, it's the the back and forth between the two at the time. There's not a lot, but it's still really good. I love the sting, no selling and no selling all the chops and then just doing you get the Ric Flair woo with the sting woo. Um, then when Flair finally starts going after the knee that had put him on the shelf from back in February. And finally starts going at it, and that's his one weakness. It's like, oh, my God, what's he going to do? Especially because his whole finishing move revolves around a leg lock. So just all that tension, all that stuff, um, I really, really loved it. I, I know it's hard. Like, this is one of the ones I can't separate the feelings that it had. But at some point, we get the 10-minute call out in the match, and it doesn't, for the first time really tonight, it doesn't feel like it's been even been that long in a match. Um but let's see. At some point, Jim Ross covers his own ass and does a really good job because he says Flair with a straight right hand or, or kick rather came with the right hand earlier and it was very effective. I'm like, what the fuck is that? He's gonna call. He's you're the play-by-play guy and you're gonna call a move wrong, but then you're gonna say, oh, well, this is something he did earlier. Um, just I don't know. The horsemen seem to give up real easily though. It's like, here's this important thing, and the horsemen come out, the dudes with attitude, they just kind of have like a stare down on the ramp, and the horsemen go, well, fuck it, and leave. Elegante is a, non, is a non-presence. You know, what made sense to me, if the horsemen came out, they would have knocked out Elegante and uncuffed Oli or whatever they were going to do. over his head and just beat the crap out of him with some soap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're all fucked. Boom. Uh, but... You know, Sting wins. Yeah, it was the roll-up, but man, it was so good. It felt good. It's the first time in a very, very, very long time I've watched this match. Um, the crowd was into it, but not as into it as I remember. You know, I remember, like, everybody screaming, going nuts. It's, you know, Austin winning the world championship level of, of the fans going crazy. Uh, Sting cuts the greatest babyface promo of all time. I just won the championship, and I just beat this man, but he's a great man. Because it also puts you over. When you put them over, because you're the one that beat them. Um, and how he says, I've got big shoes to fill. Um, Flick Flair was the greatest champion of all time. I'm a champion today only. Like, oh, fuck, that's fucking great. Um, we go off, and it's on a high note. He comes back to the ring. I thought we were going to get a little bit more. 
So it looks like he just waves to the crowd and leaves. But I love it. I mean, seven and a half. Um, there's a lot of like, and I don't know if this. I'm not gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna call it revisionist review on this, or if it's. Nevertheless, I find like a lot more current reviews about this match really harp on the fact that Sting looks like just like a monster and no sells pretty much most of Ric Flair's moves in this. This the recent Nature Boy documentary talks about it briefly. I think Flair does an amazing job building Sting. He's about to hand it off, and he's going to hand it off, really doing the guy a lot of favors, which is really cool because let's face it, like it's not like Hogan did Warrior a lot of favors. When he uh, when he passed it the same year, he didn't do that. Flair really gives, and that's why I think that promo is so good that he actually like in a shoot is acknowledging that like you know Rick Flair was the best. He gave him a ton. Really, really dig it. Um, did you want? I, I'm sorry, I kind of cut in. I, I don't want to. I don't want to go ahead and give your. Did you already give your take on it? You did. Oh, I did. Sorry. Okay. I just want to make sure. I'm just waiting for your number. Okay. Just waiting on the damn number. Wait on you. Just give me the damn number. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nah, but uh, I don't think it's bad. And I swear, man, how he no-sold those, because there's one shop where after a while it's like, it looks like it just burst a ton Mm -hmm. of capillaries. Like, it is black and blue bruised. It's brutal. The thing I am blown away by, they say severed patella tendon. Regardless, he blew out his knee in February of this year, and you're telling me not even six months later, he's competing in a world a world title match main event that's going to go 18 minutes. That is insane. Football players blow out their knees, and they are gone for upwards of a year. Some cases shorter, just depending on the guy. Sometimes they do Adrian Peterson-like things, but that is incredible. Um, I th- some of the spots near are just are, are ones we'll just come to know, of course, like and love. Uh, I don't know how many times he gorilla presses Flair, but each time it's just like wow. And yeah, seeing Flair have to do that, that never gets old. I know it's so, no, no, not that. Don't throw it to me. Let's talk about this. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, I I I was just blown away with like just uh, first back up real quick, the entrance. I love that Sting's got, like, the Terminator 2, like, finale entrance. And he's like, do you notice? He's like, whoa, man, do I walk through this? Like, he kind of looks back, uh-uh, man, I ain't walking through this. Yeah, well, let me wait till it's over. I got but, makeup. Uh, I got oil makeup on my face. Exactly. That's one thing that was cool about Sting is that he could, if you had a themed pay-per-view, he could, like, match, like, his, his colors mm-hmm. to that if he wanted to. And it's great that he does it here for Great American Bashing. It's really, really cool. Yeah, man, I, I, it's hard to look at this match in a vacuum without thinking about the whole total storyline and everything of how close he came and you know so far off or whatever. But the maybe it's just everything like that surrounds this match. It kind of clouds it. That's why I'm at a seven. That's my final rating for it. Like, and I maybe that is too high. I don't know, but I just I I love Sting so much. The moment is so cool for him. There is this awesome angle from high up, like it's like the, it's it's in the nosebleeds almost, and you just see people so excited, and that just doesn't happen a lot with wrestling anymore. People are that excited for a finish, to a match. Um, yeah, I, I I really dug this. It was it was a satisfying end to, a, you know what, an okay card that had a few good moments, mostly. A lot of the same note of being a kind of a boring match here or there, but 
Yeah, I, I really dug this. I'm pumped for Sting because it's, you know it's not over because that type of finish tells you, even without knowing the future, that this feud isn't over with Flair, that there's going to be some more shenanigans with him and the Horsemen. So, yeah, man, big fan. Big fan of it. Uh, enjoyable pay-per-view overall. Uh, I think then, like, I think... I know they say Havoc is the next pay-per-view, but I think, like, the next show is a Clash. It's Clash 12? I think so. I think it is. I gotta look at that list from the seasons. Jason, do you know offhand, is it is it Clash 12? I don't know what... I, I don't know right which here. Clash it is. Charlie must have it. Yeah, I got it right here. It's, uh, it's Clash 12. Okay, it's Clash 12. That'll be... I... I'm, yeah, I, I... I believe I looked ahead. I think we get Black Scorpion. I think we're going into that territory, which that may not age well. I have a feeling that doesn't age as well as other things, but we'll see. You got the numbers? I got the numbers. All right, let's 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 see. What did we think? I'll tell you what Cage Match thought of it afterwards. There's not a lot of awesome does uh, a little too samey. We don't have any of those reviews yet on there for that that card, but what is what do we got here? So... Jason has this rated at the highest with a 5.09. And Will, you and me are tied. Really? For a 4.5. And Ooh. as a podcast, we gave this, we gave uh, Great American Bash 1990 a 4.7. Which, right in that WCW oh, wheelhouse. Which, <laughs> all right. Cage match, you know, I'll give you guys a guess. What do you, th- if that's where we're at, four, what was it you say? 4.7. 4.7. 4. 4. Jason, where do you think reviewers on cagematch.net give this? Oh, man. Uh, it's going to be tough because uh, I'm going to say like a six and a half. I'd say 6.2. You guys are right there. I believe it's 6.35 is where it's yeah. at. 6.35, I think, is where it's at. Let me just look. I just, of course. Wow. Yeah, 6.35, which. And I, what do you know what's funny is that I know we didn't. I mean. Even at its highest, it just crosses over five, right? And that was Jason's right, was five point oh nine. But still, like it doesn't feel like an awful show. No. It's it's a pretty good show at best. At worst, it's like eh, two good matches, hmm? nothing spectacular. But I think overall, it, I didn't have a sense of dread after I finished watching it, like right. I did like WCW two thousand or some of those ECW ones where it's like because eh, that's the thing. Yeah. I, not all those ECW ones were super hot, but this was all right. And it's a pretty cool ending. It sets us up now. We're off and running. Sting's the world champion. And I think it's going to be interesting to look at it because now I think we'll be able to have a pretty fair assessment because Sting a lot of times does not get a ton of like Mount Rushmore like talk. It's simply because he was in WCW. Right. That's but it. now we can kind of see from start to its end like really where or how good that run or how bad that run really was. So See if it's justified. All right, moving out of it. So we said it. Clash twelve. Clash of the Champions twelve is going to be our next show. Uh, where I believe it. I have to look, but I think Sting, Black Scorpion are at the the main event. Wow. Oh, yeah. What a good time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the, we we're still going to be keeping the conversations going. We're on. Facebook on Twitter, Facebook New Blood Rising Podcast, Twitter at New Blood Pod. I myself, I'm at William Rankin 83. I'm at the Jason Kiesler. And I am at CM underscore stabs. We'll see you guys real soon for Clash of the Champions 12.